to Sparkler Podcast number 23. Today we are talking about Tokyo Demons, our long, long, long urban fantasy novel series. Uh, and, I am And Tokyo Ghost. And Tokyo Ghost, which is going to be the sequel that will be starting fairly soon. I am Rebecca Scoble, as usual. Uh, I am our audio head, and uh, also I've been, I did the Tokyo Demons audio book and uh, have been sort of editing and helping plan out the story since the beginning. We're here with, of course, Leanne. Yeah, I'm Leanne Centaur, the managing editor and prose editor at Sparkler, and I write Tokyo Demons. I'm Padgy. I'm the web assistant for Sparkler, and also I do some work with Paper Star Studios that did out of stink recently. I'm Zoe. I uh, I do a lot of things. I was did art for Out of Sync most recently. I co-host my own podcast, Gutter Queens, and I'm a general get about town. Yeah, it's really <laughs> great to have Zoe on for this because Zoe has worked with us in various capacities for a very long time. Uh, most no- the most recent was the art on Out of Sync, which you did a great job on, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> and also, we love your podcast, Gutter Queens. So we're like, why don't we had an opening last minute on this podcast? We're like, Zoe, you should come on. I feel like you would have a lot to add to this discussion. And also, how has how have you not been on the Sparkler podcast yet? <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I do spend a lot of my work commute whenever anyone comes out talking back to the Sparkler podcast. So. <laughs> I, I assume you have opinions with a capital O. <laughs> I do, but also just reactions. And it's a really long commute. I spend about 45 minutes on the bus getting to work every day. So <laughs> it's a good chunk of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Commutes are the best. We both have awful commutes. Mm-hmm. Well, podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. The, you know, the modern era kind of. Mm. Helps deal with that, so that, that's the, the silver lining. It's not going to have a long commute. <laughs> anyway, Tokyo Demons. Yeah. So, because we have the author here, we're going to have her give us a little bit of a rundown, and then when she gets kind of uh, negative about it, because she <laughs> tends to, uh, the rest of us will jump in and be all like, tell her why it's awesome. Uh, before we begin, we're, we're splitting up this podcast into two parts. So this is the part where it is not full of spoilers. So if you're not familiar with Tokyo Demons or you only read a little bit, um, this is mostly safe. Any spoilers are going to be really minor or, you know, to the point where they kind of count as teasers. There will be a point a little bit later where we enter gigantic spoiler territory and we will warn you. So at that point, if you don't want to spoil literally the last chapter of the series, then or the last chapter of Tokyo Demons, I should say, then um, you can turn off the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we just we really want to talk about the ending because... Let's just say, if you haven't read Tokyo Demons, a lot of shit goes down. It's kind of intense, and a lot of, uh, it's full of just, like, weird twists and character reveals and stuff like that, and so we wanted to be able to actually discuss some of that stuff. There's a lot to spoil. There's a lot to spoil. (laughs) Okay, um, so a summary. Um, Tokyo Demons is about two teenagers, Aisei and Joe, who were raised in Japan, although neither of them are really Tokyo kids until they moved to high school. Aisei can turn her body into a swarm of insects, and Joe is a pickpocket. They kind of have these uh, weird separate lives that keep intersecting in strange ways, but they essentially get dragged into this, um, it's kind of like an underground drug war, where a lot of supernatural people in the city get kind of involved, and Aisei has an incredibly strange power that no one's really seen before. Most of the, it's it's a science fiction, so there's a little bit of... um, powers like mostly psychic powers or like really mild weird things that people can do but turning into insects is definitely the highest powered thing that anybody has and it doesn't really have a context in anything else so some important people kind of take an interest in her she also finds she can be surprisingly useful with it 
and um, she gets drunk on power a little bit. So <laughs> um, she and Joe kind of get dragged into this war, and they're trying to stay alive, and which is especially hard for Joe, who doesn't have any special <laughs> skills other than pickpocketing people, which is really bad in a street brawl. Running away, distracting people, being like, hey, giant guy, look over there, and then like sucker punching him and running away. That's true. He's pretty good at fighting dirty. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a like an urban fantasy psychological drama, so it, it's kind of designed to be sort of a thriller. Like, it has action in it and stuff, but I don't know if I'd call it really an action series. It's it's more kind of unraveling mysteries and incredibly complicated um, loyalties and stuff. It's it's kind of like it, like political almost. You know, it's it's just all these warring <laughs> factions, and it's like playing one side against the other, and blah blah blah. It's a little bit hard to describe what it becomes. <laughs> just a giant like clusterfuck is really yeah yeah. Well, that it's was, upsetting. Yeah, upsetting. <laughs> upsetting is well, a good word. Yeah, we we do uh, go out of our way to upset the fans sorry guys well yeah i mean because one of the big questions that we always get about it is you guys are not japanese why are you setting something in tokyo about a bunch of you know tokyo teenagers um we've worked in the manga industry now for well, i've been in it for 15 years and tokyo demons is supposed to be sort of an homage to manga tropes but told and, and also styled like a japanese light novel so it's got illustrations it was meant to be serialized and stuff but it has a really strong Western influence because I'm personally Western. So the tropes are really familiar from manga, but the way the kids react is a little bit more American, I think. Also, the way that the, the number of drugs these kids can get. It's really hard <laughs> to get drugs in Japan. Yet everybody's like a pothead in this school. It's like, that's not that's not what Tokyo is like. Um, although no. I did a lot of a lot of research to try and get a lot of the little, you know, a lot of the little details right. And a lot of the things that if somebody from Japan was reading it, I mean, it's going to be over the top, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. It's never going to be a realistic representation of Tokyo. It's supposed to feel like a manga, but I wanted it to feel enough like a manga that it wasn't, like, I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> so it's kind of an homage to, and in some ways, a criticism of. There were elements of um, manga that I wish I had seen more of, and I'm really into cultural remixes. I, I like things that are a combination of cultures. I'm a child of an immigrant, so I am literally a cultural remix myself, so... I really like seeing it in fiction. <laughs> they do get their hands on a lot of drugs, which has always sort of tickled me about this series because it is so hard to get your hands on drugs in Japan. Like, I remember yeah. one of my favorite J-Rock fans, there was this huge scandal that one of them was, like, doing some very common something and, like, they had to break up the band and they couldn't, like... <laughs> <laughs> and that's just, like, that would never happen here in a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They were definitely, like... A lot of the drug elements were specifically pulled from kind of American high school-y tropes. So there's like the stoners, there's um, mm -hmm. like Takashi, who's the head of this gang, who's very much an homage to the American straight-edge punk movement. Um, mm -hmm. Stuff that it's like, the, it, although it's, it's interesting because we had um, someone in Japan who was kind of following along with the books and writing mm -hmm. reviews of it in Japanese that I was trying, you know, between Google Translate and stuff, I was trying to understand. Mm -hmm. And um, they said that the Biako gang was the most believable part of it, that they were like, I can hear these lines said in Japanese. There was some conversation <laughs> where, like, Niki punches Takashi when he first sees him again, and it's like, they're like, no, no, I heard the lines, in, like, I knew how it would sound in Japanese, this scene, because I've seen it in manga before. <laughs> Something like that. That's great. That's, a, that's so charming. <laughs> it was really helpful, yeah, because we, like, when we first started doing this, too, we, we really wanted it to be a living novel where we would get feedback as it moved along and then we could adjust it. Um, and knowing that there were a couple people in Japan who were following it, there were a lot of manga readers who were following it, and then there were people who were 
never read any manga who were reading it. And I was like, do you guys, can you follow it? I know it's like, <laughs> if you've never read manga before, it might be difficult to parse. Um, even though we tried really hard to make it accessible. Like, you'll notice nobody has a super long name. <laughs> and like, they kind of, they, they use, you know, in Japan, they'd be calling each other by their last name a lot more than they do in this. Um, or they'd be switching between first name and last name a lot. We really kind of streamlined it. It's mm -hmm. like, almost immediately, they're all calling each other by their first names. They, you know, they're kind of easy to pronounce. They're kind of easy to... <laughs> Yeah, well, Ian has, like, you know, really developed opinions about how to introduce characters to a book. And I know the first, the, the opening chapters of that, we even just were talking about just, like, making sure you only introduce no more than two characters a scene mm -hmm. and be, trying to, like, give everybody something that was very distinctive about them. And that's mm -hmm. just, just writing stuff that, uh, yeah, you know. Well, the added element of a bunch of Japanese names, um, and also, <laughs> this was a very valid criticism... <laughs> Their character designs are not super diverse. They all, like, it, most of them just have, like, kind of short black hair. And um, Rem, who did the art, who, like, did a really good job of doing variations when I gave her these instructions. Like, no, this person has short black hair. This person has short black hair. <laughs> like, she did a very good job, but I really should have had diff more distinguishing characteristics so that, at the very least in the art, you could tell them apart a little bit better. And that's also why they kind of gain accessories in their hair changes over time. <laughs> um I'm also kind of obsessed with physical manifestations of emotional changes in fiction. So they get hurt, they get haircuts, they get, um, they start dressing differently, they get scars, stuff like that. So as the book gets on, I think it becomes a lot easier to distinguish them. But in the beginning, it's like, they were supposed to be all kind of like quiet teenagers who didn't really stand out. And then they get hardened by the drug war. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I liked that, like, they were all fairly realistic in their character designs. Um, but that's just, like, a personal thing for me, because, like, I've played, like, a lot of visual novels, and I've read a lot of manga, and I've seen a lot of anime, and I'm just like, why do they all have rainbow hair? And, like, <laughs> yeah. it's such a stupid criticism, because, like, that's not the point. Nobody cares, but yeah. I care. Yeah, well, so, I mean, like, the thing is, though, sometimes that stuff does take you out of it, and it works really well for things that are these over-the-top uh, you know, out there fantasy stories. Although, I, I don't know if you guys saw the meme that was going around that was like, pick out the main character and they'll have a classroom full of people with, like, just oh my God. really generic black hair. And then in the front row, there's some girl with, like, bright pink hair that goes down to her ankles. And it's like, hmm, I wonder who this no, no. story is about. The official seat <laughs> in the... Oh, okay, like, yeah. So if you have a classroom scene, it's like the second... Second from the back near the window. Yeah, that's where the hero oh, yeah. sits. Yep. That's like, that's actually a fairly common trope within mm -hmm. manga and anime. And I didn't know it when we started Tokyo Demons, so there's that first illustration that Rem did, where it was like all of them in a classroom, and I was like, did she know? What did she do? And I looked at it, Kato was sitting in that seat, which oh, is yeah. kind of appropriate, because <laughs> he's the hero of his own story. Uh, oh god, that's perfect. Yeah. That's delightful. That's so great. No, she's I... smarter than me. About, <laughs> way smarter than me about visuals. There's a lot of times where I sent her an illustration. I'm like, do this. She's like, yeah, so that was a bad idea. And I did this and it's a thousand times better. I'm like, correct. <laughs> Thank you for not listening to me. Uh, I do like that they all have realistic designs, but it does make fan art hard. <laughs> I'm just going to say it does make it hard. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, you know, Joe always looks kind of like alarmed. Like he's trying to be cool, but he's not. Kato's got the little hair bloop, but, you know. It's not that consistently in it, though. He's got a cowlick that kind of goes up on the back of his head, but otherwise yeah. he really looks like Joe. 
and Kyoshi for a while. Loop. Yeah, that's why. Well, Kyoshi dyed Not his cow hair. Loop. What did they even say? Cow bloop. Hair, hair bloop. I got a blue cow. I don't know. Cow bloop. Cow bloop. <laughs> I feel like she trademarked that. Don't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I'm going to die of laughter before we even get to the spoiler part. <laughs> I, I will One say that Rem. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Rem had suggested. She's like, at that because it takes place in 2002, which is another thing that's like important context for the the story in terms of the technology and the fashion. Um, and she's like, in 2002, every teenager was dyeing their hair kind of tea colored. That was just everyone. So the fact that you had, you had like only the punks dyed their hair, she's like, you're about 10 or 20 years behind Japanese fashion. <laughs> so yeah, that, so in Tokyo Ghost, there's more. We we, we tried to, um, you know, again as, as the story went on, there appearances change to kind of help distinguish them better and then in tokyo ghost there's going to be more character design changes as well after they go through like puberty and stuff um <laughs> some of them gain weight some of them you know they wear certain things and they facial hair stuff like that mm-hmm. you can do a little more when you're an adult sad pathetic facial hair yeah college facial hair. <laughs> everybody you know like like a, a very large percentage of dudes will go through that phase where they're like <laughs> i'm gonna grow a goatee and it's just like sad and don't just like, shave stop, it off your yeah. face please Please yeah, shave it off. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's at least one shaving scene in Tokyo Demons. Maybe two? Where Kyoshi's Kyoshi. shaving. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he goes through, he gets like puberty. He gets like puberty drugs and he starts growing a beard. <laughs> like, I have to learn how to shave. And it was supposed to be a bonding activity and then they turned out fighting over it. <laughs> I, I remember the pinup that the pinup type thing that was done between Sachi and Kyoshi. That was just like, hey! Yeah, them in the morning, he's shaving and Kyoshi's trying to hide his, or sorry, um, Sachi's trying to hide his belly. And that was the other thing that, you know, that, well, the intent of Tokyo Demons was supposed to do sort of a manga-esque plotline, manga-esque tropes, manga-esque characters, but I was trying to make it feel as realistic as possible, like to ground them as much as I could, considering, mm-hmm. you know, considering the context. Yeah. Um, so the variations in their personality types are intentionally kind of subtle. It has a lot more to do with lines they won't cross or the way that they handle stress, I think is a really important character building trait. And that was something that we laid out like in a chart before we began. It's like when this person is like freaking out, how do they react? Because in real life, people react very differently under stress. And Tokyo Demons is basically increasing stress over the the series just kind of gets worse and worse and people start breaking down. But they can't all break down in the same way. And there are also some people who are bad in times of peace and really good in times of crisis. And that's ISA, basically. ISA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you put her up against, like, a gang and she's like, okay, I'm I'm all for this. You have her, like, introduce her to your mom and she, like, mutters something offensive and walks out the door. <laughs> like, hitting the door, not, the, the door jam on her way out kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, oh my God. that's a good summary of her. So we, we, we've spoken in the past that Toki Demons was based off of a tabletop game. It was basically the first one that I ever ran. Um, and Rebecca was ISA, was yeah, playing yeah, ISA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's changed, you know, we changed her a lot for the book. Yeah, she's um, pretty different. Yeah, and our, our friend Adam Ford, who, um, he does a couple voices in the audiobook, he was playing Joe. Everybody else was an NPC, basically. And, um, we had a couple other PCs, but most people dropped out of this game because it got really weird and intense. <laughs> But also, just everyone else had, like, stuff to do, and me and you and Adam were just, like... Yeah, it got really... We basically gamed real time. So we gamed almost every day for six or eight weeks, which was basically the plot of Tokyo Demons. That's why Tokyo Demons, despite being, like, you know, all in all, something like 1,200 pages, basically takes place over, like, two months. 
because it was supposed to be like every day kind of counts. Not quite in the structured way that like the show 24, like it's not broken down that carefully, but it is all really tight condensed. And that was supposed to add to that kind of like claustrophobic feel. Um, and it also meant that there'd be more time to explore after that point because people react very differently in a short period of time under stress and with new, these new people. And then after T Toki Demons, there's a five-year time skip between ghosts. So there's a lot of different development that happens when you have time to kind of like, okay, now we're not dead. And I made out <laughs> with you, 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 and you. And like, I thought, you know, <laughs> I thought I'd never see you again. We weren't sure we we're going to rescue you, yada, yada, yada. Now I have to sort of process it. So I like that, that the, the context of the first series was supposed to be really in your face, really uncomfortable. And then the later stuff is going to be more spread out. Although I, I kind of like those in short period stories. Yeah. They take place and, you know, things yeah. just happening. Bang, 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 bang. But more than anything, it's like the characters don't know each other for two weeks. They've known each other for five years. Yeah, exactly. And that really changes your dynamic and your relationship mm -hmm. and, and uh, yep. how you relate to each other. Yeah, because the, <laughs> the entire series rests 100% on the characters and their relationships with each other, which keep changing because factors you know they're, they're influenced by things that happen to them so it's really more of a character drama than anything some of them come off as very sneaky <laughs> get thrown into things yeah does that sound as a spoiler no uh, n well <laughs> we'll go into that later there's certain characters that you know there's like a traitor <laughs> somewhere in book two and um, oh god yeah <laughs> we were a little there, there were certain elements that we put in the book that we were afraid when they were published, that we would hemorrhage readers. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll we'll discuss that later because some of yeah. those are like the really really big spoilers. But uh, you know, we we had we talked out a lot of stuff in the end of book two, yeah. mid book three about how we were going to present some of these really dark things. Yeah, and and you know how to not hemorrhage readers and how to <laughs> not make everyone cry and throw the book across the room and yeah. hate us forever. And we stop didn't entirely it. succeed because I know that. At the, we basically were kind of losing readers over the. We had a really robust following around the end of book one, and then we started losing people around halfway through book two. By the end of book two, we'd lost a lot of readers, and also there were people who I knew really liked it, but they they told me I needed to take a break. It got too upsetting. <laughs> Which you know, I mean, valid, right? Like book two ends on a really low note, and uh, you know. It was it was written to be intense little pieces. We found that, that if people try and binge read Tokyo Demons, it's kind of not good for your health. Um, there are multiple <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, there are multiple people I knew who were like, oh, I didn't sleep. And then I, I just kept reading. And I was like, no, no, those, those, those cliffhangers are supposed to last you like two years of serialization. When you stack it up in a book, it just kind of keeps moving at a really sort of breakneck pace. I think a lot of the, the compiled books. Yeah, but also it's... Full of cliffhangers, so it's very hard to stop. Yeah, exactly. So, it, <laughs> please read the really, books responsibly. Oh, uh, yeah, it's like really a thriller though, with like how what, how it's paced and stuff. Because I picked it up, and like the beginning was a little bit slow, and I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. And then like the first really interesting thing happened. I was like, okay, now I have to keep going. And then that just kept happening. And like I had this was when I was in college still, I think. And so I was like, okay, I have class in fifteen minutes. Can I read another chapter? Like, I would, I was like for class a couple of times. And then there was like one day where like I finally caught up and I took my laptop with me to class because a chapter was coming out that night <laughs> and I needed to be there right then. And then everybody I've recommended the series to did the same damn thing. 
<laughs> like, I recommended it my friend on Facebook. I was like, hey, so I think you'd be into this. And then I didn't hear from her for a week. And I was like, hey, are you okay? She's like, I've been dreading three days. And then I had to like really just kind of lay down for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, great job. I've never like been that invested in like a book before. Like, I mean, I've read stuff like religiously, but I was able to put it down in sleep. I didn't put this down until I fell asleep. Like, I didn't actually stop. I just woke up and it was like, what happened? <laughs> what year is this? Where am I? Yeah. Am I late for class? That's good news and terrible news to hear that. I don't want it to, like, actively ruin lives. I don't know. We all it's read what you wrote. I think maybe you wanted to ruin some lives. Wow. It's too late. It's already happened. We've it's already just college, it. Leanne. It's fine. <laughs> I did the same thing, though. I took forever to start reading it, so I didn't I didn't actually read it until um, the first paperback came out, because I read, like, half a chapter, but I'm really bad about reading things on my computer. I just, for some reason, my brain just, like, slides right off the words, and I'm just like, eh, too tiring. <laughs> and then I got the first paperback, and I think I finished it in an evening sitting on my couch. Like, I was Whoa. just like, no, I have to keep going. And then I binge read the whole the whole second book actually was also out at that point. So I just read the whole thing online because I was like really determined to get through it, even though I hate reading on my screen so much. Yeah, that's actually really common. We found that um, just in general in Sparkler, a lot of the prose people wait till it's complete and then they either buy a paperback or an ebook. They don't like reading serialized prose as much as they like reading serialized comics. Um, mm -hmm. Which is fair, but it also, <laughs> again, it kind of stacked, like it was written mm -hmm. to be read in small chunks, and then when you put it all together, I think that's when it gets a little bit, a little much. Excellent. Well, okay, if you like that. I guess if you're, we do recommend it to masochists. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to come out here as, you know, a representative of Sparkler and saying, you should read Tokyo Team <laughs> don't listen to these assholes. <laughs> It, it does start slowly. It was supposed to be the, like, ramp-up effect, mm -hmm. where it, it, it like, the, the reason that it started slow, well, I wasn't as good a writer back then, it's part of it, <laughs> but it was also, um, there were a lot of pieces to put into order before things hit the fan. So the first, like, not much really happens for, like, the first half of book one, and a lot of people, that's partially why our readership didn't really kick in. In fact, we didn't even promote the book until around chapter six of book one. So we really didn't want, we're like, people aren't going to stay. They're going to be like, why the hell are, you know, who are all these people? What's going on? Why do I need to, why do I care about this guy trying to get this guy laid or this person knew this person <laughs> in middle school? Like, who gives a shit? That can't be important, right? Everything is very important. Like, uh, with maybe a few exceptions, I think there might have been a couple threads that we ended up not really, you know, following in the book. But we very carefully laid out a lot of stuff so that once the shit hit the fan, it would basically be like a snowball effect. The things would just kind of get worse and worse and worse and worse. Because you had that basis where you understand what kind of people they are before you, before things happen. And then at that point, it's really important to know where everybody stands. Because then it becomes like crisscrossing loyalties. Where it's like, oh, this person believes in you, but he doesn't trust you. But he doesn't like you. And he likes you. And, you know, you made out and that went well. And you made out and that went poorly. <laughs> That feels like a really good tagline for the entire series, though. You made out and that went well. You made out and that went poorly. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was that Tumblr quote that we had that we kind of want to use on book three as the uh, the back cover copy that was like... Yeah, we usually have name? a quote from like a reviewer or something on the back, but there's somebody on an, an anonymous poster on Tumblr said, 
At first I started reading this to pass time and I was like, oh, well, this is fun. But then it got all emotional and fucked up. <laughs> I wanted to put that as the quote on the back of the book. I, I strongly feel like you should. Like, I advocate for that because that's just such a pure, honest little perfect summary. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, let's be honest. You're not buying Tokidemon's book three if you don't know what you're doing, what, yeah. you're, what you're getting into. I hope not anyway. That's oh, a God. strange way to live your life. <laughs> yeah, you really couldn't open. Like, they're they're all so closely connected, you really cannot start anywhere but book one. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, wanna... don't don't read the beginning well, of book three. Well, you know, that happened. When we when we started Sparkler, we folded Tokyo Demons into the magazine. So it had been running on its own, and then the first, episode, uh, the first uh, issue of Sparkler had chapter 5A of book two of Tokyo Demons, which there was somebody <laughs> who went and reviewed the entire issue, and she was like, what the hell was happening? <laughs> I think ninjas showed up in the middle of this. And like, there's something about dirty cops? I don't really know. And it's like, yeah, dirty cops and ninjas are kind of synonymous in this book, actually. Secret ninja dirty cops. <laughs> Anyways, I think um, I think that's about all we can say without getting into spoilers, so I think we should probably... Well, I'd like Pachi to talk about, like, you ended up running the fandom. That's how I met you, how you got hired. no. no. No, I did not run the fandom. I have never run the fandom. I just got really, really obsessive about Tokyo Demons, and I was like, I need to fanfic this, I and I hadn't fanficed anything in years, <laughs> and then I was like, I have to. I feel compelled. <laughs> I think the word you're looking for is instigate. She, she instigated, instigated the, the fandom. Oh, <laughs> well, it was there before I came along. Like, I don't know. I came in right at the end of book two, I think. Well, that's when we were oh. losing readers, though, too. So you kind of, like, revitalized it in a lot of ways. Because it's a very small fandom, let's be clear. <laughs> I I guess, maybe. I don't know. I just I just you know did. that I just sat down and was like, I need my OT3 to happen. And <laughs> that just kind of went from there. And now everybody associates that with me. Yeah. 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 True. Well, you know, fair enough. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm not complaining. It's a great ship. It's the best one, factually. All right, why don't you explain to people who might have uh, less knowledge <laughs> of your Twitter feed what the OT3 is? Oh, God, I'm sorry. Um, It's a Yase, Sachi, and Karuyuki, and, like, there's... It depends. Like, sometimes I mess around with them just being, like, making Sachi sandwiches. Um, And other times I'm like, okay, but what if they all made out with each other? <laughs> and like I have this time. entire little AU set up so I can just kind of play around with that without having to worry about what the cannon's doing because I just I wanted to do a college AU and I was just like okay so let's pretend that the books the series is already done I'm just gonna run off in this direction mm -hmm. um but like Ayase works for like the cat god what the heck's the church called the catholic people oh the, oh, the vatican the Vatican. She yeah. works with the Vatican investigating, like, some crimes and stuff, and, like, she uses her beat powers for that. Um, and then, like, Sachi just works at a daycare, and he's happy with this. And Kato Yuki's, like, writing fucking novels, and, like, Kato and Sachi live together, and sometimes they get fucky. And then Yase <laughs> comes home, and then things get really fucky. <laughs> On break from the Vatican, she goes home to bang both her boyfriends. <laughs> I mean, basically! Honestly, that like, sounds like a pretty good deal. Mm. Yeah, she's says. not complaining. They can, yeah. Oh, that's a spoiler. <laughs> I won't say that, but but yeah, you can read all of these things on Archive of Our Own. Has like thirty-ish yeah. Demons fanfic. Uh, yeah, because back in the day, we got we actually had a fair amount of fanfic written that was hosted on our website. Um, and then Pachi, I think it was you who basically started the 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 category in AO3. And some people cross posted. You know, people who had done the old fanfics came and put it on AO3. You've done a bunch. 
Um, yeah, I, I did do that. I posted the first one, then they made the actual category for it. Mm -hmm. And there are quite a few on there. Um, <laughs> I like everything that you've written. Your, your characterization is like really excellent. And also I find oh the, the three-way stuff like really interesting. <laughs> um, Run, I that makes me happy. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it, it's it's very thought-provoking stuff, and there are certainly conversations that I've had with you that have like made me start thinking about things a little differently. Because again, it was supposed to be a living novel. Like we have, there were a lot of elements that were in place at the beginning, um, and of course, when we say living novel, we don't say we want to rip off fandom. That's not because <laughs> I think some people that it, I know it's it's sketchy territory. A lot of people can't confirm that they've read fan fiction while they're writing it because they're afraid they're going to get sued. Since Toki Demons was small enough, I was like, eh, I feel like we can probably play yeah, Pachi, with this. Yeah, Pachi, don't sue us. Yeah, like Pachi <laughs> There's no money. Us, basically. There's no money here anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if like any of the stuff I ever wrote became canon, I'd probably just die of a heart attack, and that would be okay. So you wouldn't have to worry about that. And if I survived, I would just be really happy. So, <laughs> well, we had, um, especially now because Tokyo Demons, all the the main plot points had been planned in advance. Um, the only thing we were well. There was stuff that I wanted to change as I went on, not necessarily because somebody brought it up in fandom, um, but it was more like seeing what people were reacting to. Uh, and in that case, like the character of Nick, who was always supposed to be really a one-shot guy who wasn't in it much. I hated him being in it because he dominated every scene he was in yelling over everybody. He was really just supposed to be like the exposition guy who dies. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was kind of his role. And well, it wait, wasn't okay, We're not in spoiler time. No, yet, we're not. So. This, this is what he was supposed All to right. be, was the exposition guy who dies pretty early. Um, and then the fandom really liked him, and I was like, oh shit, I should probably, like, think of a backstory. <laughs> he got, like, a really interesting, like, like a short story in the back of one of the books. And, yeah. Like... Um, I'm actually, I'm really glad that I did, like, because I think his role ended up, it, it wasn't until I, I figured out the dynamic between him and ISA that he sort of started making more sense in the canon, because he ended up becoming ISA's rival in a way that nobody else was, but really drove her. Because um, rivals are a really important dynamic to have, and because she was a, a singular force, she had so much power behind her, it was hard for, like, what is it that's going to drive her to do better? Besides save all the sobbing schoolboys, I mean, she always has that, but oh, yeah. I wanted a different sort of dynamic for that, and her, it was like, it wasn't necessarily that she wanted Nick's approval, although there's an element there, but like, she wanted to prove that fucker wrong <laughs> a lot, and then um, because he was such a, a leader... When, when they get into combat situations because he's former military, um, she ended up picking up on that a little bit, and that's part of how she became a better leader functionally, is by kind of following his lead. And then there got to be sexual tension, so and then it got even better. So. <laughs> I know Zoe's into that. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sitting here making the worst face. <laughs> She's a Nick and ISA fan, for sure. <laughs> oh, but I, I gotta say, like, I love... Egging on everyone's ships is like my very favorite thing to do. And we won't tell who ends up with who in the end. Or, you know, I mean, also, like, this is not the kind of story where two people get together and that's it. The relationship ends. There's a yeah. lot of, you know, I mean, not so much in this story because it only takes place over, like, a couple of weeks when they're very young. Yeah. But, you know, the next thing, they're going to be college age. People start thinking about, like, you know, settling down with people, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, people may or may not have children at some point in the next couple of books. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but the idea that, you know, relationships will really develop and and change and, you know, you, you might end up with someone for a while and then it doesn't work out. Or, you know, mm -hmm. you might uh, have sexual tension and that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And then, you know. Right. So. And that, again, was why it was so essential to build 
the relationships really from the ground up. N none of them, well, okay, a few of them know each other at the beginning of the book. Technically, Sachi and Kyoshi know each other. Um, yeah, well, the, the, Sachi and Kato know each other. <laughs> They've got a bit of a past there. But for the most part, it was like they were kind of newly being introduced and bouncing off of each other. And that's why it was important to have those first few slow chapters so they could kind of build an opening dynamic that could then go in a lot of different directions. So it was always supposed to be a fun playground for fandom to play in if they wanted to. Um, but also, it, it because because it's so weird, it does mean that like the coupling kind of go through a lot of evolutions before they're going to necessarily end up with somebody or no one. Mm. Um, and that's something that I think you guys have been really good at, like ships that I like never really thought of before. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I guess I can see it. Yeah, well, Lynn <laughs> loves more than anything adding sex to things. Yeah. So if you if you egg her on and say, oh, I totally ship such and such and such and such, uh, that will get her thinking. And yeah. uh, then, you know, sometimes things happen from that. So just throwing that out there to all you guys. Zoe did a lot of really great fan art of Nick and ISA that got gears turning in my head, for sure. <laughs> yeah it was good it was, i win it was filthy <laughs> for sure well because we're, we're probably gonna do a nick and i say dirty uh, uh, cherry bomb story like a dirty story um <laughs> within canon although it's very complicated so you know i won't explain it now because it'll be a spoiler but um i sort of i ran it past zoe i'm like what are you doing? <laughs> uh, i'm really excited <laughs> So I'm a terrible reprobate. So this is for <laughs> You have invaluable like... feedback, Zoe. <laughs> it might be worth noting that Ayase is old enough to be fucking around with Nick in the first place by the time that hypothetical thing might happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah. yeah, because one of the big things <laughs> keeping them apart, besides the fact that they fucking hate each other, is um, <laughs> he's old enough to be your dad. So... <laughs> Just oh, delicious oh, fucked up shit. Good, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, on that note, do you want now? Do you want to do the spoiler? I think it. Do you think it's time to move as on? As long as Zoe is okay. Is Zoe okay? <laughs> yes, I'm fine. Any parting words to convince other people to join us in Tokyo Demon's Hell? Uh, if you just do it, <laughs> just do it. You'll just be lying on the floor crying, but it'll be great. So <laughs> just do it. The good kind of lying on the floor crying. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend it. <laughs> All right, so let's, uh, okay, from this point on, if you have not read the entire series of Tokyo Demons up until the end of book three, uh, you should really turn this off because we're going to spoil the hell out of the ending and just the whole series. Yeah, so unless you really want to know major plot points. Um... Yeah, it's way better if you don't know them the first yeah. time you read it. So uh, we ser if you've got any intention of reading it, we suggest you turn it off. Come back later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you, after after the crying, you can listen to this and and see what we have to say about it. Yeah. Okay. So they've been warned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when your tears are dry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when we talked earlier about things that we were afraid we were going to hemorrhage reader readers, it, it's pretty much everything that had to do with Karoyuki and Toya. <laughs> well, yeah. And and not just you know the reveal of kind of their terrible sexual dynamic, but also you know, Kato betraying everyone. <laughs> um, he was very popular um, once we... Well, because I was always a little bit afraid of his popularity because he's just, like, fr a frustrating guy. Um, girls really liked him. There were a lot more boys that were like, somebody punch that boy until answers come out. <laughs> <laughs> they all ended up backtracking and were like, we were really sorry we found out why he was hiding things. 
Um, <laughs> and to be honest, part of why we started the Cherry Bomb line for Sparkler was because I wanted a way to write that, basically the part where Kato and Sachi are kidnapped uh, by Toya at the end of book two. I wanted to be able to write that in a context that I could publish it where it would keep it out of the context of the book, but it could be fairly graphic. Once we actually got, and that was how the, the idea of Cherry Bomb came along, <laughs> the idea that it's something that's in canon that you don't want to put in the book for a lot of reasons, but can also be more explicit. Now, once we actually started reading it, I didn't end up needing to do that. But we had Cherry Bomb. Like, <laughs> what, once you started ended up writing it, you said? Uh, yeah, I ended up not wanting to do that part yeah. graphic because it really didn't, I didn't think it added anything. Yeah. Um, but it's also because the decision to make the third perspective in book three, Toya, was a very late decision. Usually the beginning of every chapter has a flashback to some character's perspective. But in book three, except for the epilogue, it's all Toya's point of view. Once we did that, we could dip into what was happening there mm -hmm. without being graphic. And I think it covered it really well. And at this point, I would actually be really uncomfortable <laughs> writing any more mm -hmm. than I did. Because I think it's people's imagination is like really more than enough there. Um, but because that was all off screen, I was like, how the hell is anybody going to know what the fuck happened in that penthouse? Mm -hmm. So... That's a limit. Keep that in mind, anybody who's writing something with limited perspective, that when you do these things that are totally off screen, you have to have a way to kind of fold it into canon and get people to know about it without just somebody explaining all the things to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, like, the limited perspective in Tokyo Demons has been something that we've, we've had to sort of struggle with a lot just because there is a lot that happens off screen. And I mean, to be honest, Aisei and Joe are kind of outsiders in a lot of what's going on because mm -hmm. there are the gangs. And I mean, Joe gets a little bit of an in to Biako early on, uh, but he doesn't really want much to do with them. And, no, fuck those guys. You know, most of what he knows is by is from, you know hanging out with Mitsuko, who has her own, like, crazy shit going on on the side, mm -hmm. and getting dragged places by, like, Seiya and Miki and mm -hmm. stuff. You know, and he doesn't even really want anything to do with Miki, because, I mean, let's be honest, no one really wants anything to do with Miki. That kid is, like, a little disaster waiting to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I think the fan girls would disagree. Yeah, I think in real life, if some <laughs> angry... 12-year-old looking kid came up and started swearing at you, you'd be like, fuck off, kid. Uh <laughs> I flipped out a piece of chain. See, that was the other thing, that because it was a game, everybody's weapons were really carefully planned out. It didn't come up in the book that much, although the card game we were developing actually did integrate stuff, but Miki fights with a length of chain that he wraps around <laughs> his knuckles and punches people oh with. God. Or occasionally, oh like, like strangles them with or just like you know whips it at people and stuff he's oh a little <laughs> well i mean he's are you okay over there i love him so much <laughs> <laughs> and i'm picturing this in my mind's eye and it's really beautiful and i love it <laughs> well, i think he did it once in the book there was one fight where he had his chain and i know in like the yeah the poster we had for book two he's holding it yep. it was supposed to be they all have their weapons, and like Mitsuko is like, I have 80 knives on me. She's like a yeah. knife fighter. And Joe's like, what the fuck is this bat for? Well, okay. What am I supposed to be doing with this yes. bat? Which and is my favorite. Like, like yeah. we, we use those pictures all the time, and I gotta say that Joe picture is by far my favorite, because he's just sitting there like, what am I supposed to do with this, guys? I This, yeah. this is so stupid. So I hate you all. Th this picture, is the, the if, if people aren't familiar with it, there's basically a like a poster for book two with the color character designs of the main eight kids. That we use that art around a lot, so you've probably seen it, but they were all supposed to be kind of posed and dressed and carrying things that, you know, reflect kind of their place in book two. Um, which is why Joe has a bat and he's looking at it in like sweat dropping because like he doesn't really know how to fight, but he's kind of 
that's he ends up fighting with a bat a lot. Joe's specific <laughs> weapon is he's a melee weapon expert, which means he he's good at picking up things that are around him and using them as weapons. Yeah, which is why expert like with big quotation marks. Well, okay, I should say it's his skill. It, it's his his yeah. fighting skill. So that's why in book one he he there's a broken beer bottle that he fights with at one point. He has the bat because it's like easy. I think at one point he has a crowbar. There's my favorite part was oh, yeah. in the funeral in book three when he <laughs> fights with a folding chair. Oh yeah, that's my favorite too. <laughs> well, that, that, was that picture really the best. That picture yeah. is so good. Like Rem did an amazing job so with that good. one. She did, yeah. And that's the great thing. Like, like Rem is so good at action shots, and she would get really. She told me that she's like, oh, all these people standing around talking or whatever, kissing. It's kind of boring, but like she loved the action scenes and she was so good at them. So. They would be really complicated, and I'd be, like, really scared telling her, oh, you know, all these people are interacting. And she's like, boom, done. And I was like, wow, look at this. like eight characters on screen in a massive brawl. You totally nailed this. Um, well, I think my favorite picture is the one where they're uh, they're running out of, out of the, the love, love hotel. hotel and, yep. and Kyoshi has Kato, like, princess style. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that scene isn't funny. That scene is horrifying. That's when Kato gets his leg broken and, like... And Joe gets tongue, <laughs> toy's tongue in his mouth. Yeah, it's not a good... It's not a good scene. No, it's a really, really bad scene. That's but why they're all running. <laughs> that picture is amazing because they're just like, nope, 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 and they run the fuck out of there. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, it's an action scene in a love hotel hallway where there's like, like the wallpaper has hearts. hearts on the wallpaper. <laughs> they're just like, we're all gonna die. <laughs> that was the other thing about like pl- placing it in Tokyo and and just any setting, um, especially since there were so many different types of action scenes in this. I wanted them all to feel very different. So. The shortcut way of doing different action scenes, and even like non-action scenes, just mm. character scenes, is to have very different settings. So we tried that like each big brawl in the series takes place in like a very different type of place. And that means that Joe will get his hands on a different kind of weapon, and certain mm. people will be better in this environment versus this environment. For example, when they were going through the forest in book three, <laughs> there was like a house in the woods and they are like, oh, it's booby traps. Well, you want Nakajima for booby traps because she's a fucking ninja. But like, Kyoshi almost dies like eight times in that fight. <laughs> he's really not a careful guy. Mm-hmm. Um, or also, well, Kyoshi was good in that because he has very good eyesight, so he could see things from a distance. Mm-hmm. That was thing. Like, because it was a game, they all had character sheets in the original. So certain things that they were good at and certain things they were bad at was like really carefully planned out in a way that I think most people don't do for pros, because why the fuck would you do that for pros? <laughs> but it, it made it very easy to write certain action scenes because. It, you know, it was kind of intuitive, the way that when you're a GM, you're staging a scene for a fight. So, anyway, it's kind <laughs> of a... But what my, my question is now to you two, because I wanted to know your reactions to the end of book three, because we can't talk about it that much on social media without spoiling it. So, there was a lot to kind of interpret there. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. Zoe, do you want to go first, or, do, or should I? You should go first. So, you should go first, because... I forget details until I've read something two or three times. <laughs> okay. Okay, so, like, I just kind of lost my shit the entire time I was reading that. Like, I was at, like, this um big book sale, and I saw the email in my inbox. I literally stopped everything I was doing to read it. Like, I had run into a friend there, and I was like, hold on. It's <laughs> really email. And so, like, I was just sitting, I was just walking around all these books, reading this thing, and trying not to walk into people, and, like, progressively just getting more and more emotional as I went, because, like, one, like, everybody that I wanted to live, lived, 
because like I had a thing for a while. I was definitely convinced either Kiyoshi or Kadoyuki or both of them were going to end up dead. Mm. That's <laughs> Kadoyuki fair. because he's a self-sacrificing kind of idiot sometimes. Mm. I mean, like I say that I, he, I, I love him endlessly. Um, but also I can see him getting himself killed. Um, and yeah. Kiyoshi because I mean I can just see Kiyoshi ending up dead. I mean he keeps almost dying. <laughs> He, he does, does almost, almost die, die a lot. The most, yeah. <laughs> so, like, when it came down to me being like, okay, who do I need to prepare myself for, like, dying? It was those two. I was like, okay, if Toya dies, I don't care. But if one of those two <laughs> die, or both of them, I'm going to be really upset. Anyway, though, so <laughs> that whole thing at the end, man, I haven't read this one six times, so, like, it's a little blurry. But the thing with, like, Kanoyuki like, Inuyase's bedroom was hands down, like, the weirdest thing, but also the sweetest fucking thing ever. <laughs> you, the part where she wakes up and talks to him for the first time after she realized he was alive? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. And I'm gonna backtrack in a minute, because now, now the details are coming back. Anyway, though, so, like, that whole thing was just so unbelievably tender. Like, I... Look, I'm, I'm convinced... I read that, and I was, like, convinced. I'm like, okay, Kato definitely loves her in some sense. My ship can sail. I don't care. (laughs) But backtracking, like, the whole hospital scene where, like, you know, Ayase's got the gun to Toya's head, that, like, I, when I was, like, thinking about how I expected this thing to end, I was, like, right on the fucking fence about whether Ayase was going to kill him or, like, not. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I knew it was going to come down to the two of them, just based on, like, how things work and fuck, what's Joe going to do? Freak out about it? I love Joe. I feel like he would just be like, fuck! He's fuck. looking for safety gloves during that <laughs> showdown. Yeah. He was off doing something else equally important. But I did like that basically the whole thing on, like, Mercy was left to Kato in the end because Ayase just pistol whipped Toya and was like, I'm fucking done. <laughs> because, like, that whole thing, Kato was the one that went through the most shit with Toya. And so it felt really appropriate to leave the decision of whether he was going to survive withdrawal up to him. Because, like, okay, technically it would be merciful if Yasai had shot him. <laughs> yeah. Because he was kind of a fucking mess at that point. Yeah. And I'm, I'm 90% certain that he was just sitting there like, you know what? If I died right now, that would be pretty fucking sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Wishing so, for death. Hmm. Yeah, he did finally yeah. wish for death. That's... Mm-hmm. And that was a big yeah. turnaround for him, because Toya has a, a survival instinct much stronger than most people. Yeah, like, he, I knew he was kind of on the fence at that point, and, like, he was, you know, like, totally willing for Yase to shoot him, but I wasn't sure if he was actively wishing for it, or if he was just like, I mean, I'm okay with this. Hmm. So, anyway, I liked how that was set up with Yase just, like, hitting him. I wish somebody had kicked him in the balls, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But, yeah, like, that God, I don't know where else to go with this exactly. I just, I like how the ending was set up and, like, the um, thing with Kadayuki and Ayase was really tender, like, both times, like, when she realized he wasn't fucking dead. And then, like, <laughs> when he was in her bed, in the bedroom with her. That sounded weird. No, it was but, intentionally supposed to be them alone in a bedroom. That's. Yes. But, like, those two scenes were just so fucking tender. I was just like, I couldn't I was really upset. <laughs> well, everything about Kato, even when he's being sweet, which is like for Kato is like always some kind of weird thing. Yeah. It, it's always like like he's working on such a different level from like anyone else yeah. all the time. Like that, 
he's just a weirdo, but like we love him for it. You know, it's just things, things with him are supposed to be kind of uncomfortable and strange. You don't know what he knows because he's reading your thoughts and half the time he's like responding to something that you didn't even say. And yeah. you've got to like interpret his like ramblings, you know. He's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, he's my favorite too. <laughs> yeah, she's, Becca is my like, well, so at that point, Pachi, you were baiting the book that um, <laughs> the last, like I said, the second uh-huh. half of book three. She was, I wanted her opinion on it because, like, uh-huh. like Rebecca's been the editor for Toki Demons for a long time, but she knows where everything is going. Mm-hmm. So, and also she has her own biases. Um, she <laughs> yeah. kind of hates anything with Toya in it. Like, there was a lot of, like, subtle <laughs> Toya characterization that I wanted to do. And she was like, nope. <laughs> like, fuck that guy. All right, all right. Aww. No, I mean, which is valid. It's just, like, you, you hated him so much that you couldn't. It was hard for you yeah, to, to well, have a, an I opinion mean, on that. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, understandably, a lot of the stuff with Toya and Kato made me uncomfortable yeah. because it's about, like, sexual assault and yeah. and rape and stuff. And it's just like, it's you know, it's really fucked up. And so mm-hmm. that's something that, like, I felt like I wasn't really able to uh, be that... Objective. Objective, yeah, that's the word I'm thinking of. But, I couldn't be that objective about it because, like, I just... But you even, know, if you, even if you had been quote-unquote more objective and what is yeah. objective in that but like even if you had been that was something that i really wanted another opinion on yeah because it was everybody's gonna interpret that very differently and i didn't want to freak people out more than i wanted to freak them out you know like there, there's a certain degree like yes it was supposed to make you really uncomfortable but not like i don't want to read the book anymore kind of uncomfortable or tastelessly uncomfortable. yeah well i mean honestly that was something that we we talked really hard about when when Kato fakes his own death because that yeah. was the other thing we thought we're going to hemorrhage readers because you know there's sort of well I have really strong feelings about character death like this yeah. is something we've discussed I really don't like character death a lot of the time be- I mean you know I know that in certain types of stories and honestly in Tokyo Demons it would be more realistic possibly if more of them died but it, from mm-hmm. a story perspective killing characters kind of derails everything yeah it does you know like like. Uh, I mean, to use an example everyone's thought of, the last four Harry Potter books all had a major huh. death at the end, and uh. it just kind of killed the story, you know, because everyone mm-hmm. had to stop to mourn. Yeah. And also, it can be kind of a cop-out because it's a way to get rid of problematic characters. Yeah. And uh, originally, Toya was going to die, but having him stick around is way better. Yeah, Toya was supposed to die in the original. It was maybe halfway through the... Because that was because, again, in the game... He was just the final boss battle, you know, it was like, <laughs> he had eight attacks per round. It took like eight of them to take him down. It was, oh, and that, the original version had magic, so he could teleport, which <laughs> <laughs> made him like way yeah, worse. Yeah, yeah, like, like when we say it was oh, based man. in a game, it was based very loosely, loosely on this yeah. game. A lot of, mostly it was characterizations that were oh, yeah. just adapted so, so Yeah, we, we, we powered it way down. Because mm-hmm. like Joe had like a gauntlet that gave him plus 10 strength or something. So he was actually like super oh, strong. God. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> it was it was bad and weird. <laughs> I mean it was incredibly fun, but it was it was, but... it was not something that you could take seriously as a book. And the no. characterizations needed to be like yeah. like I mean part of the fun though was taking that context and taking like the best plot points and using them as like a framework for yeah. you know. Right, and that's why when book three is actually like really different from the third act of the game. Because instead of it being like, oh, let's go you know, Toy's the boss battle, get there and beat him. It was kind of like the Empire Falls from within, you know, like Toya, the the the, the way that it became kind of a race for pitch where they were kind of, everybody was trying to follow, they were trying to get to the pitch first 
and they were following Toya, and then he was following them, and they were looking to each other's futures. I have a very complicated, like, spreadsheet. <laughs> it, was, it was like a, a graphing paper. I was writing the different timelines, <laughs> um, and who was poking in, and, like, especially, like, the last day is, like, a couple chap the last chapters. It's very carefully timed out, you know, to the best of my ability, because I'm kind of bad at that stuff, but... It was around book two that we were like, what if Toya didn't die? What would we do with him in Ghosts and Beyond? <laughs> and it, oh, we have some great stuff to oh do with my him God. It's so much better with him. Well, because, you know, you can probably guess what happens to the, him at the end of what's going to happen to him between demons and ghosts. Is he goes to prison where a different <laughs> arc kicks in um, with Miki. <laughs> and uh, also there are elements of stuff in prison that, like... Because Tokyo Demons, or rather Tokyo Ghosts, is about one of the the main plot points is about the Malum, which are not really we don't go into it that much in Demons. It was kind of unearthed, and a lot of people were like, "When are you going to talk about the Malum?" I'm like, "Patience, patience." Like they have to deal <laughs> Three with books kind from of, now. <laughs> yeah, they have to deal with kind of one problem at a time. But also something that didn't really come up in the book, um, but is part of canon, is that. They don't know much about the Malum. Like, the church has information on it, but it's all full of blasphemy. So, like, you know, it's not something that they pursue. They have a lot of biases there. Shorty is a really isolated Malum. Um, and Joe doesn't know shit. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's a lot of Malum stuff that is tied to Toya's plotline. So him being alive is basically he's kind of a connection to that. And it, it feeds into the stuff that happens in Ghosts. Um, I'm not going to spoil it, obviously. But... Him being alive and serving as a connection that we thought we didn't, we were going to have to build from scratch um, in Ghost. I was like, oh, it's way better if Toya is doing this. And then there was a lot of, like, Tokyo Angels, which is the third series. Um, it leads into that much better than what we originally had planned, too. Angel's <laughs> the one that's changed the most since the game. It really has almost nothing in common with the game. It, it's kind of like the book plot, the book uh, timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, that we had some rough ideas for angels, but we weren't really sure what we were going to do. And we're like, oh, no, no, Toya living at the end of Demons is like a chain reaction that leads to amazing things later on. So we're very excited about that. I'm really glad Toya lived because I really like him. <laughs> he, he's so horrible, but I really like him. And I was actually like, I was sitting there and I was like reading the last chapter and I had to read it in chunks while I was at work because I was in the <laughs> office. <laughs> so... But I was like, well, I could wait till I get home, or I could do this in between travel requests, which is going to happen. <laughs> so I'd, like, sit there, like, biting my knuckle so I didn't make a horrible noise to make my cube neighbors, like, look over the wall at me and just be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> like, Very I already do on a general basis. <laughs> like, in my nest of Sailor Moon toys and... <laughs> weird noises I'm making just be like why are you like this what's wrong with you <laughs> but um I was like I was like if Toya dies I'm actually gonna be really bummed because I really like him in that I think he is a delightful monster and I enjoy having him around to be horrible <laughs> oh yeah no I mean like so like sorry as much as I really <laughs> dislike Toya and I had some trouble Art with the amount I was arguing with Leanne about certain plot points at the end of book two and beginning of book three. It got heated. Yeah, a little bit. Well, we, we, I mean, we just, 
I forced Leanne to rewrite an entire scene at four in the morning once. You know, like this is. <laughs> but you were right though. So I was right about that. But uh, our uh, our editor and writer relationship is sometimes a little contentious because we disagree about. I think the word things. you're looking for is abusive. What? <laughs> I'm not abusive. The abuser doesn't think so. <laughs> it's good. We've got like a weird dom sub thing going. It's fine. <laughs> okay, you oh only take like. One half of my suggestions. Yeah, we we kind of have a deal where we'll we'll argue, we'll argue like really, we'll fight basically. Half the time it's fighting about how a certain scene should go or a certain plot point. If it's if we're not sure where it should go, because some of this stuff we're like, yeah, okay, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, it's fair. But there are some of the edgier plot points. Um, we argue until Rebecca. There's like a point where I can tell where I, I've hit this sweet spot between ridiculous and excellent. Because she'll be like, no, that's stupid. No, you're ridiculous. And then at some point she'll go, what? And that's the one. Like, when you make that sound, it's like the nervous laughter shock sound. Then that's like, perfect. That's that's the reaction okay, that I so want Okay, so I'm the abuser of this relationship? Yeah, okay. <laughs> You've got a point. God damn it. <laughs> oh but then when God. she goes through and does line edits, um, she makes suggestions and I usually take about 50% of them. Where I'm like, yes, no, yes, no. Um, maybe more uh, than fifty percent at this point. I think we we have a better rapport. Yeah, I mean, like you take the type. Yeah, like, like if there's a typo, obviously that's well, yeah. a thing. But the ones that have like a, yeah, you know. Well, you're you're very good at characterizations, and sometimes ISA and Kado, especially, it's easy for them to go off the rails. Um, we're either uh, and and when I say off the rails, not like ISA is going to do something ridiculous, but it's more like she has a very. I feel like she has a very narrow section of stuff that she feels should be she should be doing at any given time like her she has a, a firm moral code but what that incorporates i think is very narrow like she'll be in a situation and she's like i think this is the right thing to do mm -hmm. and she doesn't there's not a lot of gray area there mm -hmm. and that what she decides to do since so many of the situations are subject uh, subjective it's hard to nail that in a way that feels like her mm -hmm. so you're very good at keeping me on path there <laughs> um and kato is always at the risk of being too much Mm -hmm. Like the things that he does are unacceptable or they come across as extremely cruel because he is, he's kind of a cold person, <laughs> partially because he's been abused by so many people over so many years that he has like extreme trust issues and extreme boundary issues. And as Be Rebecca had said before, he was always written in a way that like he, the way he perceives things on a totally different level from normal people. So the way he reacts to things, the way he thinks through things, he's working with information that nobody else has. So he comes to really strange conclusions. I mean, it's like, it's some of these psychics, I was thinking about, like, what if I had been born with the ability to see, like, twice as many colors as I see now? Or, um, you know, the ability to not feel pain. Like, things that it's like it would, like, cause, you know, seeing many colors is not going to adjust your life <laughs> perspective. But if, from, if the way that we interpret body language and facial expressions if you could also touch somebody and know what they were thinking, or know what they were feeling, rather, like Sachi's, uh, Sachi's power, that would totally change the way you interact with people and the way that you perceive things and the way that, like, um, you know, the way a conversation would roll. Because he's working with an entire different set of cues that the average person doesn't have. So some of these psychics, the part of the reason they're weird or they have very developed communication skills is because they learn to adapt to that. But they're starting from a very different place. Because Kato's power is so strange, and also because 
it's not even what he thinks it is. Like, he doesn't... That whole section in book two where he's finding out that he's basically a vessel for other psychic powers, that's not something that he knew before then. He wasn't lying at that point, which I think is... I think we did that because Sachi touched him and he's like, did you know this was... You could do this. And he's like, fuck no! <laughs> I had enough problems with one psychic power. But, so the nature of his power is not just that he hears thoughts, it's not just that he warps minds and all these things, but it's also that just at its fundamental core, his power is people bleed into him. That he sort of, he absorbs other people. Um, that's the he's whole rogue. gateway metaphor. Hmm? He's rogue. He's yeah. rogue. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a pretty good way of saying it. So, so, and in this sense, I wanted him to be not quite a chameleon, but he's sort of a mirror. So when people, he takes pieces of people and he absorbs them and he folds that into his personality. And then he also shows people what they kind of want to see and whatever. And you'll see a lot more of this in Tokyo Ghosts. Um, because at this point, he's still just been, like, adapting really quickly to survive. But we make this joke about Kado eats his enemies. <laughs> so the whole... <laughs> Is there a sexual connotation that, well... <laughs> um... Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, he does have a sexual component to the way that he controls people. So... This is a very, very, you have to be very careful with this characterization to keep him from being really unlikable <laughs> um, or just terrifying. Because he is supposed to be kind of terrifying, but he's supposed to be the kind of terrifying that you sort of want on your side. Um, not the same kind of terrifying as Toya, although he does absorb elements of Toya, literally. You know, he sort of steals his power. But also, he learned a lot from Toya about how to control people, how to manipulate people, Um how to plan ahead <laughs> things like he he knows how to use the power because he's always been in toy's head so because and he made some comment when he was like tr you know tripping balls or something because i think he's absorbing wipes power but when he said every i know what it's like to be everybody but nobody knows what it's like to be me because he can basically kind of see everything through other people's perspectives so he's this giant ball of other people's you know absorbing other people's thoughts and absorbing other people's you know seeing it through their perspective making him really hard to nail down. Which is partially why I like writing him, because he can do really weird things, and it kind of makes sense. But it's also can go off the rails really quickly, and Rebecca is like my Kato expert. <laughs> so oh, great. She, you know, and there's stuff that I've done with him that she didn't like. I think you're happy with him now. Yeah, but... yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing that arguing a lot does, yeah. is that you eventually <laughs> get to a point where, you know, we're both happy. Yeah. I liked Pachi's characterization of him a lot, too. All your fanfics, I think you really kind of nail his core, which is sort of like, he doesn't even know really what he is. Mm. Oh, He's God, I, I tried. Like, I thought about that so much before I ever tried tackling it. Yeah. Like, I literally sat down and I was like, okay, I don't want to fuck this up because I love Kato and I love his characterization for what it is. So I just like sat down and read every little piece that was in the books that was like from his point of view. Yeah. And then like any major scenes where he was reacting to something, like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not kidding, I'm obsessed if it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know. I The way that I end up reading him is that like, yeah, he doesn't really know much about himself at all. And, like, mm. he wants to please people, like, yeah. to a point. But, but, like, especially, like, Sachi and Ayase, because they have both, like, thrown themselves under the fucking bus for him. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. He He's hard to write no matter what. But, like, I feel like he's always going to be a little bit cold to everybody, even if he, like, really, really 
he loves them. Yeah. But, like, he needs that distance between people. Or, like, he just can't fucking handle, like, existing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the time he's just like, I exist and this is a problem. Yeah, well, he had a... um. So, we, we did this... Um, I wrote it somewhere in a live journal, but... Like, at some point somebody said, what is your writing technique? This was, like, 2011, and I ended up writing up this essay about character writing. And it forced me to kind of use Tokidimas as an example of, of character building. And one of the the techniques that we used is, is can you summarize a character in one word? It, obviously, the characterization have to be more than, the nice one! But, like, is there, what is the one word that you would use to describe this person? So, like, Sachi was, was kindness. Um, Kyoshi was innocence. Because it's, it's very... Well, it gets destroyed real Well, that's the thing. He, he has a very clear uh. loss of innocence character arc. I mean, I think mm -hmm. his is the easiest to understand. He was all supposed to, you know... Uh, Kyoshi is my favorite character because he's, like, the normal person who has to go through a normal character arc. And he's just like, I'm glad you guys all have powers, but, like, I just wanted to go out for pizza. And now I can't leave my house <laughs> and I'm covered in scars and I've become a murderer, etc. But Katoyuki's character trait in one word was growth. That he doesn't have... A really firm characterization other than the fact that he develops as he gets new information and, and new stuff so he over the course of the book he did have very firm boundary issues in the beginning he i mean he still does obviously because the nature of his power it's like you know uh, the fact that toya violated his physical boundary and mental boundaries so much is like he has real problems with intimacy and then being close he needs that distance but around the end of book two there was that scene, the epilogue of book two, through Kato's perspective, where he was talking about absorbing the poison and rebuilding his body with it. I mean, it was a metaphor. <laughs> like, the thing is, all of Kato's perspective, he kind of, his internal narrative is like a drunken poet. <laughs> so <laughs> he uses all these weird words and terms and stuff, and they're always very difficult to write. But that was supposed to be him, basically, instead of just trying to keep people out, specifically let them in and then build off of that, as opposed to just rejection, rejection, rejection. So he's still very sensitive to those boundaries. And when in time of peace, <laughs> he is going to have problems touching people. He's going to have, you know, emotional distance, coldness and stuff. But that's kind of where his power is. And that's what he adapted to learn how to do in book two. And that's how he took down Toya, that he's like, Toya would never think that I would do something like this, because this is kind of contrary to like everything that I've had before. We joke that, like, how <laughs> we describe Kato. Kato doesn't have middle gears. He goes from, I can't handle this, nobody touch me, leave me alone, to all up in your space, <laughs> like, <laughs> controlling everybody like a puppet master, like, um, yeah, you know. He's either total inaction or just everything at once. Yeah, so it's sort of like, I'm not leaving my bed, to I'm going to run face first into fire, which is, he literally does in book two. <laughs> when they're like, why is he running into fire? It's like, because... Kato flipped the switch where he's like, time to do things. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I think that he makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Again, Joe, like, we talk about who's supposed to be the everyman. Kyoshi is supposed to be the everyman. Joe is also supposed to be kind of the reader stand-in in a lot of ways. That Joe is a reasonable person with reasonable <laughs> reactions to things. He has a healthy fear of stuff. <laughs> and he doesn't trust Kato from basically the beginning. And he never really likes Kato that much until he kind of has a breakthrough with him. But Kato makes him really uncomfortable. And will conti we'll continue to do so, which is great in Ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Where he's like, I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to live with him. I don't want him to live in my house. <laughs> like, please, I need Kato in small doses, not, like, at my kitchen table in the morning. Which is, like, a, you know, a plot point in Ghosts with 
because oh, a bunch of them. I'm do. so ready. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah, well, I mean, so we can talk a little bit about ghosts. Yes. Um, yes. You know, small teasers or whatever, but because um, some of this we've talked about, some of it, some of it we haven't. We've said in the past that in the beginning of Ghosts, Joe is trying to save a failing marriage. That is still true. That's basically the first chapter. <gasps> it's his. It's his vow renewal. <laughs> And it's not oh, going. It's like God. a ceremony, and it's not going well. <laughs> oh, the wedding didn't go well either. No, and, and she's trying so to make happy. up for it. Yeah, so, so well, especially because I wanted the beginning of Ghost to be um, all of everybody grown up in formal wear, incredibly uncomfortable because of <laughs> a self destruction is happening right in front of them. Oh um, God! <laughs> so poor, oh my God! So Joe is my favorite, and I'm so excited for him to explode. <laughs> second i heard that that was going to happen i was just like i knew it i knew it i knew that boy was gonna make some kind of terrible life choice like getting married too young like oh this boy is like made of terrible life choice i I know it's so good it's why i like him so much i like to say that his malamability is to be the straight man in his own life to just kind of stand there and go why is this happening (laughs) that's his that's his mal that's his deal that's just yeah. Well, his his malamability will come out. We will actually reveal it in Ghosts. It's a mm-hmm. a major plot point. Yeah. Um a lot I'm of people sure. have had very interesting theories. There yeah. were a couple people who thought I think they said um survival could be his trait that why does he keep mm-hmm. almost dying? I think especially with they, there was a, a point in this book where he was supposed to die that was an alternate timeline that Toya was carrying around in his pocket. That he there was a point where <laughs> that fucker. Yeah, he was going to let Joe die. And there were a couple talking about um, if he slides under the radar, that people don't see him. Mm. There were a couple things, um, mm-hmm. some really interesting theories uh, about Joe's power. I'm not going to tell you how close anybody is, but they, these are very interesting things. The and... sliding under the radar thing was definitely one I I had in the back of my mind. Other than mm-hmm. the obviously joke one, that is his malmobility just to be like kind of semi-grounded in reality. <laughs> he attracts punches. Yes, he attracts punches. <laughs> he attracts punches and is more or less grounded in reality. Yeah. <laughs> Comparatively. But the radar one was definitely one I was just like, that could be. That's a real power that would be interesting. Yeah, they were, they were theorizing it was, it was just power. something that didn't come up yet. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think... Well, I mean, you'll see. I don't really don't know how people are going to react to it because um, it is important. It has been important from the very beginning of the book that this is his his power, um, and, and the fact that it's something that he doesn't know what it is, but it makes him a target. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he basically it's very appropriate. Yeah, like I thought that was first of all, I thought that was really funny that it's like Joe can functionally have no power that he knows of to use, but everybody will be chasing him because he's a malum. That feels like the perfect Joe plot line. Yeah, a good balance of uh, uselessness and. <laughs> pain you know yeah that's his punch attraction we had a point where i promised to not like joe just kept getting hit in the face for like no reason (laughs) other than i thought it was funny and at the end of at the end of book two when they're in the cab after toya kidnaps uh kyoshi and or sorry kidnaps kato and sachi and she's in the cab with kyoshi and joe she wakes up abruptly from a bad dream and she like crushes joe's face into the window like like slams his head into the window (laughs) oh my god and like Rebecca was like, "All right, you gotta stop. Like, there's just... <laughs> there was no need to do that to him." 
but there's oh. every need. It's yeah. Joe's thing. He just gets hurt really badly. <laughs> My I God! <laughs> Poor little dirtbag. <laughs> yeah, he is a dirtbag, and that's part of his, you know, character art and ghosts. Like he comes from a really bad background. He's he's a bad person. Well, he was when he started. He obviously grew kind of a, <laughs> a sense of morality over the course of the series. <laughs> um, but once he's outside of the that context of that, it's like. Am I a dirtbag? Am I am I going to clean up? Am I going to get my life together? Like, Joe has a really serious quarter-life crisis, um, which I think anybody would see coming. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. I think based on it, he has it a little bit young because he does get married mm. young. Um, he basically got married, like, the minute he turned 18. So, and that's the kind of decision that I really think he would make um, because he makes kind of, you know, decisions like that in terms of, He's willing to commit himself to romance, but he's also incredibly guarded in a lot of ways. He has this, like, weird conflict about family that he, like, really wants a family, but he's also, like, terrified of it and embarrassed. Because the one time that he had a family, you know, he, he was given up for adoption, you know, as, like, an infant. He had this foster home that he really loved, and then the lady there died. So he basically got a family and then lost it the way other orphans lost it. And he's like, great, so I'm like a double orphan. Um, so he's really conflicted on that. And Joe getting married at 18 spun off that whole stupid AU. Yes, explain oh the, the single dad AU. That was, <laughs> that was great. I, I don't even under, know who came up with that in the first place anymore. I thought it was like, we have, I think I, it was probably. me. <laughs> it's probably me. Yeah, that, that sounds like something you'd come up with. Why don't you um, explain it to the audience? Yeah, go Zoe. Um, so the, the second I heard that Joe makes the poor life decision of getting married at 18. I was just like, fucking yeah. And I like <laughs> ran with it. And I was like, what if he got married at 18? And then they had a baby at 19. And it was the worst life decision anyone made. And then his like, wife couldn't do it anymore. Because they were both basically children with children. <laughs> <laughs> babies having babies. Yeah. Babies having babies. And he's got to get his shit together. And it's hard. <laughs> and then I like named the baby. And I like, kept drawing the baby. <laughs> At various ages and stages. <laughs> oh, I just, I am really committed to this stupid fake child. <laughs> we were hashtagging you wrote a thing it. for it. Yeah. You write a thing for it. Yeah, there are a couple, we were hashtagging it for a while as Joe Single Dad AU because, yeah, you would, over the course of like two days, you like, all of a sudden this fan art and it's like, oh, this is Kasumi. I'm like, who's that? And you're like, it's Joe's future baby. And then like a bunch of tweets got yelled at me. <laughs> oh, we got really excited over it. Yeah, it no. It spun out of control really quickly. <laughs> that was like, we have this stupid little group chat, like me and Zoe and uh, Leanna. And oh God, it's a terribly <laughs> wonderful place to be. Um, But like, that AU just kind of exploded in there. <laughs> and, like, we kept coming up with shit, and then eventually it turned into Kyoshi and Joe fucking. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, so, I have the internet that, don't I? Yeah, yeah you, you do. To... Oh, shit, I made a promise on Twitter that if we... Uh... Yeah, I think if the Kickstarter yeah. succeeded... Yeah, it was during right. the Kickstarter. If it hit a certain point mm -hmm. in a certain amount of time... You'd make Joe Kyoshi dirty fanfiction. Right? Yeah, because I, mm -hmm. I had written a Twitter fanfic about how then Joe's cigarette lit the place on fire and I think I think he had to be carried princess style naked out by like a fireman or something. I don't remember. Yep. I gotta look this up. Uh, yep, that was it. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, that was it. Boy, so even I don't remember that. Oh, you weren't around. I was just like it was like oh. me and like Ash and 
and uh, that's fine. It's fandom. I shouldn't be involved. No. Oh, but you are. You, you you named my fanfic, and I was very happy. Oh yeah. So to talk about the like the various oh, fanfics. Jesus. So like like we talk about P- Pachi had kind of revitalized the fandom. Then we hired her to work at Sparkler, and then she became the official beta on the book. Um, Rebecca wrote was writing fan fiction too, just cause when uh, she was doing a Pacific Rim Tokyo Demon Zayu. Where, like, if you guys are familiar with the Pacific Rim movie, where they're all, like, psychically connected to robots, it actually, Tokyo Demons translated to that context unbelievably well. And you wrote a really beautiful fanfic, and it's called Tokyo Drift. <laughs> it's genius. That was all the end. <laughs> Absolute genius. <laughs> Just the, the title. Thing I nothing is else perfect. to do with it. Yeah, yeah the title is amazing. Uh, but, yeah, like, like... I think the main point here is, hey, do you have some stupid like fan idea? You should tell Leanne about it, and then it'll probably explode if we like it, and <laughs> possibly make its way into canon in some way, like this this Nick ISA fic that Leanne is insisting upon writing, and I keep I keep yelling at her to, <laughs> that if it's gonna be canon, it has to like you know be realistic and yeah, I think oh. we gotta. I think we got a version we of it. Because, like, middle ground yeah, eventually. some of the, the ship prompts. Like, I'll certainly look at any ship prompts. Um, she wears me down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I do believe that in in pretty much every Cherry Bomb story that's written, um, I want it to fit in canon somehow. And I, I do think that because there's all this this open time between demon and ghosts, there's a lot of... And, and there the, the, the way that the relationships always worked was it was kind of like, experimenting or making mistakes with or not knowing what you wanted um because the the beginning of ghosts is dealing with well joe and his failing marriage and the sachi kato isa thing is like page one it's like they are in a place let's just say (laughs) it's at a very important stage of their collective relationship that is is coming to a head and they, they have to they have to fucking deal with it. Like, mm. certain people are not dealing with this. <laughs> hmm, I wonder um, who's good at avoiding dealing with their problems. Yeah. <laughs> and some people are, are pushing too hard, and, and it, it's it's a delightful mess. <laughs> Which of them is pushy? <laughs> yeah. Just, and and also, they have, there are certain things that happened between demon and ghosts that once ghosts start, you don't really know what happened. And then it's kind of revealed in the first couple chapters about stuff that happened in high school that they don't that, that were like turning points that changed their dynamic for good because you know in, in the course of five years you're going to start fi- the time skip obviously the relationships are going to be in a different place i didn't want them to be in such a different place that they didn't feel realistic or that they would like sideline readers but at the same time there is kind of like for example there was a <laughs> there's a party that happened <laughs> towards the end of high school which is going to be its own story at some point but it, it's Something happened and it got caught on video. <laughs> so, oh like, oh my god! Yeah, oh so god. one of the first things that happens in, in Ghosts is this is referenced to it, and like somebody's watching the video. So, like, this was kind of how to put it into, you know, so she won't be totally like, what the fuck happened that night, but something important <laughs> happened at a, I think it was like Shorty's birthday party, and there was like far too much alcohol and like oh no good adult supervision, and they were, I think it was like senior year. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, they were right around 18. It was, like, before they graduated, but um, it kind of, I don't want to say fucked everything up, but it certainly, like, mm. changed a lot of the dynamics in a way that they've, they've been dealing with since then. It's, like, it's like it had happened, like, two, because, like, between that and Ghost is, like, two years. So it's, like, 
it's been five years, but it's been two years since this event. And then there are a couple other events that happen that are going to be cherry bomb stories that come out before Ghost comes out, probably. The ISA Nick is one of them. That was actually, it's kind of a lot of plot in that one, I have to say. Oh. Um, and then there's, <laughs> there's an ISA Sachi one that's also coming. Um, that also has a lot of plot into it. And they're actually connected. I think they're like a day apart. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. It, it's oh almost, my god. <laughs> it's kind of a two part thing that like snowballs a little bit. So anyway. I'm so ready. I'm so ready. Oh my god. It took I'm her ready. a long time to convince me of all of this. Yeah, yeah. There was I had to do like formal pitch meetings. I'm yeah, like, so Rebecca. I'm like, no, 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 no. It was no. like submitting like a resume. And I'm like, so I believe that I can do <laughs> <laughs> here's my outline for why you know nick and isa end up in a love hotel together and you're like son of a bitch but then like while you're screaming i put the red pen in your hand it's like let's just break this down like you know <laughs> yeah well i said you can write this if you convince me and she kind of sort of did kind of i, I we got to the point where i'm like all right you're close enough where you can write the damn thing and then i can, I can edit it yeah cross out a bunch of shit i'm oh, so God. excited my prurient interests are so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <gasps> well, they'll, they'll also be, like, and this is something that I, I can't remember if we said publicly, but it's you know, not really a spoiler, it's more of a teaser, but a bunch of them do live together in the start of Ghosts that, to say, you know, they're all, well, most of them are really poor. This is something that I don't think really came up in Demons, but, like, mm-hmm. most of them are wards of the state. Like, they have an allowance. Yeah, well, whatever the Japanese equivalent of that. Yeah. yeah, they're orphans, like, so they don't have money, they don't have family. Now, the Vatican can and, and Zayed can give them... Um, money, you know, they have sort of stipends, but for the most part, like, they don't have families they can live with, they they don't, like, if they're gonna work, they're gonna get shitty jobs, they don't have any experience. So, in order to save money, partially, a lot of them do live together in a house that's, like, almost, you know, like a frat house where there'll be, like, a bunch of separate rooms and a bunch of people will live together. And it's it's for that, and also because they're all so messed up. Like, this is something that I think, again, pe- should be logical, Demons fucked them up pretty bad. So some of them are very bad at making friends outside of this group. <laughs> um, some of them actually end up being like, fuck this group. I'm, I have to go out and make other friends because you guys are ruining me. Like this codependence is, codependency is really mm-hmm. bad on me. One of them is going through a really promiscuous period at that point. Um, you know, there, there's, there's kind of, there's a lot of like weird, elements in there so even though some of them are living together to save money some of them are not happy to be there some of them need to be there um and that's what the the this this podcast is coming out with sparkler issue 40 which is gonna have the first tokyo ghost story in it which is actually like a little bit it's between demons and ghosts um and at that point isa and joe live together they 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 share a, a home i can't tell you really much more than that Joe's wife also lives there. <laughs> Joe's oh wife is not ISA. <laughs> oh, God. There's this brief moment where I was like, no. 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 no, no they are not. No. God, no. That's, that's what the a funny weird thing. life choice for both of them. So there, there were just this, like, this large contingent of readers who were just convinced that because they were the two main characters, they were going to eventually get together. No. <laughs> God, no. I mean, no. well, uh, okay. At what? this point, definitely no. They're... Is it a spoiler? God, no. <laughs> I can see them fucking. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh maybe if you pitch it well enough, and then Leanne pitches it well enough to me, you can convince us that, that Joe is a I don't really man think so. Now. <laughs> oh, no, it's not like a whole like shipping thing. I'm just like, I can see them both being extremely stressed out, and nobody else is around, 
and they just kind of start making out just like on a whim and then it just kind of goes from there which then ties into wait no we're not at that point yet i'm gonna stop there um i'm, I'm having a lot of feelings right now though so like oh my god and also when is it going to be revealed in the canon who's fucking everybody because it has been driving me crazy and i need to know how long i need to wait the, the promiscuous one Yes, uh, that's going to be revealed in the story with this issue. So a couple, a couple oh, weeks. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I know you. Yeah. The fandom wants that so they can. Land decided to it. throw you guys a bone because she knows everyone's been going kind of nuts. Yeah, it's one oh of the boys God. is promiscuous. Well, because he's going that doesn't, through. Help. That doesn't really cut down very much. No, it's a sausage. I don't list. think any of us thought that ISA was going to be the one who's sleeping around. <laughs> no, I, but... I sleep with it in my head. <laughs> well, didn't we, by process of elimination on that poll, just sort of decide that it was the the, the fandom decision is it's probably Kyoshi? <laughs> was that, you know, we did run a poll to oh, ask what people thought. Yeah. Yeah. Leanna, yeah, Leanna wanted to know who everybody thought. So we were talking about it, and then I know by process of elimination, I was like, well, it's not Joe. And <laughs> I doubt it's Kato. And <laughs> so we just sort of went down the list and we're like, I bet it's Kyoshi. <laughs> So that's where our money is right now, okay. collectively. Interesting. <laughs> oh, we didn't really know what he was going to do in Ghosts, and then we came up with the best idea for what he was doing in Ghosts. Yeah, we knew where he would be socially in Ghosts, but we didn't know how he was going to factor into the plot, and now he is the best part of the <laughs> plot. See, this is the thing, like, when we're developing a story, stuff that we're like, I don't know how that's going to connect yet, we basically wait until we're really close to doing it, and then we're like, what would be the best possible thing that could happen here? We do it and by of, best, that usually means worst. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just, just to be clear, best is you know not relevant. But it's sort of like in, in the same process <laughs> that you would have if you were writing an AU or if you're like, I'm going to finish this story like as a fan. Mm -hmm. I like having that openness so that we can get there and be like, oh, fuck, this would be hilarious if this happened. Let's just do it. <laughs> <laughs> so although we have the major events planned out in advance, we leave a little bit of flex room so it can feel organic. And also so that, you know, as I think we've said before, like if pe if there was a twist and people were guessing it, we could change it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, when people are too close to the truth of, like, a mystery, pfft, Yeah, I mean, we have so many twists that usually it's okay if people guess a couple. In fact, we'd, we'd like people to guess a couple. I think Toya's power was something that you mm -hmm. could figure out in the context of the book if you were paying really close attention. And some people did, mm -hmm. the fact that he could see the future. Kato's plan to absorb Toya's power is another thing that you could kind of pick up on that mm -hmm. people did. In fact, I think, Pachi, you were, one of, you were like, wait a minute, Kato doesn't hit all the condoms is he trying to steal yeah. toy's power and yes that's exactly what he was doing um, yeah i fucked myself up <laughs> yeah it was well it was it was uh, terrible i mean this was his you know it, basically if you have if you're a psychic and you have sex with kato he might get your power this is an element of his relationship with sachi because he really doesn't want sachi's power <laughs> um i mean you can have protected sex that will protect you to a point now the way he got other people he didn't get his mother's power by having sex with his mother. Um, he got oh my it. god! No, no. The, the, <sighs> and wipe obviously bit him. That happened in the context of the book. He got it from his mother through like either breastfeeding or just you know the way that mothers and children share fluids when they're young. Um, Normally, the normal way. Normal way, yeah. Like that. There's a lot of back and forth with your mommy when you're an infant because he's had the power as long as he remembers. So he basically developed it when he was an infant. He can get more powers in theory. He hates the number of powers he already has. He, like he didn't want to have Toya's power. Um, of course, Ghosts also introduces the character of Hikaru, which is somebody we've also spoken about before. He's from the Sparkle RPG ESPU. He's a crossover character. 
<laughs> he's Kato's cousin, who is a psychic therapist, who um, oh my God. doesn't have psychic powers of his own, but he he's like oh basically has like a psych he's like a psych student. I, it's, he, at that point, he's a professor. I think I think he has a PhD in psychology. Was he a TA or was he? I, we, did we decide to age him up? We aged bit. him up. I think okay. he, he's about he's like thirty or early thirty, so he's around okay, the age so, yeah. that Nick is now. Um, and so he basically. And this is, is between demons and ghosts, so it's perfectly fair game. He basically becomes Kato's therapist because Kato's family is so weird about letting anybody know that they have powers and blah, blah, blah. Basically, the only way Kato was going to get any help was if it came from within the family. And Hikuru was somebody who had been affected very deeply by one of their family members committing suicide that he committed himself. He's like, I want to help my family. Like, I want to help psychics because they can't deal with these powers. Like, they fuck up their brains. They fuck up their perception. They, they have trouble adapting yeah. to regular life. Also, it's like, if Kato went to a regular therapist, what's he gonna say? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? It's like, so, the fact that I've been, like, reading everyone's thoughts since I was a baby kind of <laughs> screwed me up. And they're like, okay, so you're either lying or delusional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the schizophrenia was what um, he and his mother were sort of diagnosed with. That came up in the story once where he's like, I'm mm. not schizophrenic. I can't explain to you why, but I'm not schizophrenic. Um, so one of the first things he does after demons is he basically, he kind of is like, I'm going to get an apartment and you're going to live with me and I'm going to take care of you because you're my cousin and I will also be your therapist, like your live-in therapist, which, you know, brings up some ethical questions. Yeah, you're not really supposed to do that, but it's kind of a, like a... (laughs) <laughs> it's a weird it's situation. A weird situation because Kato also really needs someone to like make sure he's eating. Yeah, like, because really he, badly. He, he can't. He shouldn't be living with his parents because his mother is abusive, and he shouldn't really be living alone. And he wouldn't be a good roommate. Even somebody like Sachi, who's like, I want to be your roommate so bad. Kato's like, No fucking way. That's not going to help me being around you all the time. At least not right at first. So he, in high school, he basically moves out of the dorms. And into an apartment with Hikaru. So once Ghost has started up, there are basically three characters who are introduced. There are three characters who are new in Ghosts. One of whom is Hikaru. One of whom is somebody in prison. (laughs) And one of whom is introduced in the context of the story, so I don't have to explain her. But, um, (laughs) yeah, she... Sorry. Sorry, it's 12 point Becca. There's one female character that Rebecca really likes who's in Ghosts, but... So in the beginning, it's like Hikaru was already a part of their life. So this is another thing that is going to be kind of explained through flashbacks. Like, who is this extra guy? He's like a Yoshimoto that's basically like, here, Kato, it's time to eat. Oh, yeah. Well, Hikaru, if you if you listen to ESPU, Hikaru is like the cutest. So uh, Yeah, he's a really sweet guy. And and, and he's got that, uh, that uh, Yoshimoto, like, sneakiness a little bit. Yeah, to he's kind of sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> they're all kind of like, they're weirdos like the Yoshimoto family, for sure. But, but he's kind of been taking Kato away from Aisai and Sachi a little bit to help him and then like slowly reintegrating Aisai and Sachi and all, all the rest of them back into their lives. So, I mean, I guess we could say this part. When Ghosts begins, Kato has like just left Hikaru to move in with them. And they're like, you know, with Joe and Aisai and anybody else who's in that house, which we'll kind of, we'll let that play out. But like, Kato moves in is like, one of the earliest <laughs> plot points and joe's like fucking great i don't want this guy like living in my house he, he's developed a lot but um part of the reason why we can't have the the relationships with kato and, and sachi and isa and all the stuff there he, he can't really be intimate without therapy first and i thought that this would be a more interesting way to kind of address it because he wouldn't he'd have to have non-traditional therapy for sure and a lot of he could whose methods are incredibly un- unconventional and <laughs> upsetting maybe <laughs> like or weird um 
but there's a lot of like them going through high school with Hikaru telling them, okay, like I'm going to set a date and you guys are going to go to the movies. <laughs> and then I want you to come home and tell me what the movie is about. Like really weird things where he's like trying to build him a social life because, you know, Kato is so fucked up. So Kato moving in with like Aisei mm-hmm. and Joe and anybody else in this house. Um, I guess we could say he was in the house. Can we say he was in the house? Yes, yes. All right, yes, just, yes, yes. We, we can yes. decide later if we will. Okay, let's just tell them who's yeah. in the house. All right, so Sachi uh, is also in that house, which makes things yeah. complicated. And Adam lives in that house too. The, what? Yeah, oh because well, Adam's super lazy, so we're like he's like, <laughs> oh, I can live with you. It's easy. Like it, it was a different people moved in for different reasons, but there are a bunch of them in this house. And originally. They all had separate rooms, and then there was the, the talk that he could was like, well, I think that Kato was ready to live with, you know, some of you, what would you do? And Sachi is like, I'll move in with somebody else and give him a room. Anybody. Whatever. And Adam's like, okay, I don't, you know, really need space. They basically make a bunk bed in there, because Joe's like, I'm fucking married. I have a wife. You can't move into my room. And Sachi's <laughs> not going to move in with the ISA. <laughs> like, not at that point. There's stuff going on, but he's not going to live in her room. <laughs> God. <laughs> Um, I guess he needs her space. Yeah, exactly. So, it, like, you know, when you're 20, you want to live with your buddy, not necessarily with, you know, well, I'm not going to explain what their relationship is like, but they should not be living in the same room, even if they're the same house. So they get yeah. a, a bunk bed in, in Sachi and Adam's room so they can make the new room for Kato. Being like, yeah, this is going to go well. Joe's like, no, it's not. <laughs> There's no way this is going to be a healthy collection of people. And Oh, my know, God. It's a bit of a mess, Ayase, for sure. Ayase really does need space, though. Like, there's all yeah. these boys around, and then it's like, she's attracted to several of them. Or at least yeah. two of them. <laughs> and she she does need that space. Yeah. And then also, this works out well, if she decides to have sex with any of them. Because mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about the roommates. Yeah. There is no roommates. Got your own room, You know, it, it, that is... invite people to. Yeah, that becomes an issue, yeah, as it does with know. anybody who's been in college and have roommates hooking up. Um, oh Joe's married, so, like, you know, they're used to yelling Soon. at Joe, and they're like, Joe, That's keep so it down. That's so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, like, picturing, like, a teenage married couple in a house with just, like, a bunch of other people, and it's so horrible. Yeah. You know, what a terrible life choice. Oh, yeah, it, it's it's quite bad, and they have, you know, they do have hookups, they do have, like, either between oh them or somebody brought somebody home, and it does blow up in their faces constantly. They, they adapt in a way that kids who are in college adapt to those really gross situations where it's like your mm. roommate's having sex on the bunk above you. Um, oh, God! Okay, that does not actually happen. Not, that, that doesn't happen that's in this book. That's an exaggeration. But the, I know Christ. people that that's happened to in real oh, life. Yeah. And it's yeah. one of those things that in your college years, you can you can kind of put up with stuff that when you're older, you're like, how the fuck did I put up with that bullshit that's behavior? horrifying. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh. Well, I'm fucked up for the evening. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to write me some fanfic now? <laughs> oh, God. Maybe. I don't know. I have to be up again. But I miss yeah. writing fanfiction. I haven't written, like, the OT3 thing in a while. And it's, like, it's grating on my nerves. Because, like, I love their chemistry. Because, like, Sachi is so fucking selfless. Which, like, Ayase and Kato kind of need. Because, like, they their lives have been shitholes. Like, basically the entire fucking time. Yeah. And I don't think either of them knows how to be selfish. Like, immediately. Um, yeah. but also, like, Sachi's too selfless, and if anybody's gonna be like, no, dude, go fucking take care of yourself, it's gonna be the two of them, mm. because he's constantly, like, on them. And then also, I just want to write Joe and Kiyoshi fucking, because that just seems really nice. Yeah, do it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Sorry. do it. Do it. 
I approve. They fuck, and the OT3 is babysitting the baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> because that's in the timeline. I have a timeline right now. Alright. Yeah, do it. Do it. Please yeah, do it. Yeah, that's how that has to work. It's very important to my health and well-being. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Zoe, there's gonna be shit with Joe that I know you're gonna eat up, so... I'm so excited. Yeah. I didn't ship Joe with anyone other than Misery for the longest time, too. I just want to point out... <laughs> Joe X Misery, yeah. That's well, that's, bad life that's clearly the most important ship. That is the OTP of Joe. Mm. Like, doesn't matter who well, else he gets with. We were. It really is. His, his character arc in Ghosts, I think is. I think he has the arguably the best character arc in Ghosts, and that's saying something considering there's some like serious shit going on with like Aisei, Sachi, and Kato that they all have like a lot of growing to do. Let's just say, <laughs> oh, um, man. they have a lot of shit to sort. But I think that. In the same way that book one of Tokyo Demons, the character arc of Joe, I think, was probably the strongest, where he basically grows a conscience. Um, a lot of, like, his arc in Ghosts, I think, is, like, the most satisfying. It, it's very complicated, because um, Ghosts is going to delve into the concept of family. So, um, not just, like, found family, but also, like, blood family and issues you have, and then building a family. So, that, that kind of, that three... The, th the three facets of that, the, the family that you choose, the family that you make, and the family that you came from. Um, and that's why the Malum come up, because Joe wants to, you know, it's connected to Joe sort of trying to figure out where he came from. And Ayase wants to figure out where she came from. And Sachi wants to find out where he came from. Like, they're all kind of like, they're at the point in their lives, which I, from what I understand, I think that's fairly common for like kids who are adopted or orphans. Once they hit like 18 to 20, they're like, I want to figure out more about where I came from. I feel like I can handle it now. Oh yeah, and the answer to all three of those examples that you just brought up is super fucked up. It's amazing. Really fucked up, yeah. <laughs> um, personally, I've always liked Ghosts the best out of all the, the series that we were going to do, so I'm like really excited to do Ghosts. Yeah, the also they're, they're all of age, so having them fuck yeah, around they can fuck is around. sketchy. It's, it, the sexual <laughs> politics are interesting, but the plot gets like really fucking nuts in a way that, you know, demons got nuts, but it was all like the scale of it was like manageable. <laughs> the scale of ghosts is like much, much bigger. Um, mostly because nobody really knows what ISA is or where she came from. And it's bad. It's bad news, guys. So um, it'll be good. <laughs> it brings up a lot of big issues. Stuff that I, I kind of, um, even though I really liked the, the small scale of ghosts, or sorry, the small scale of demons, and ghosts it's is small. Demons is pretty damn big. But it's limited <laughs> to, like, a bunch of people who sort of know each other within one city. No, okay, fair enough. And as we've I already... I mean, time, timeline-wise, it's also quite condensed. It is, yeah. Whereas ghosts, there's a bigger timeline and bigger implications um, that kind of involve all of them, including, like, you know, what if your family is alive, but... Not in Japan. Stuff like that. It's gonna be good. I think it's gonna be good. That uh, I'll try. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's a couple of plot points in Ghosts that I just... I I just laugh every time I think of them, and I really wish I could spoil them, but I'm not going to. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, I'm not. Yeah. Also Question. The, yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Is Ayase and the whole pregnancy thing going to come up in this podcast? Uh, or should Leah cut that? No, um, ISA and pregnancy is a plot point that comes up um, in in Ghosts, I think. Yeah. Um, we, we're still Not working right out. away. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Um, in the same way that a lot of Tokyo Demons had 
I did a lot of research to develop pitch from a biochemical level. There's a lot of biochemical issues <laughs> and epigenetics <laughs> that come up in demons or in ghosts that I'm still working out the kinks. Okay, of. <laughs> if you're not a professional chemist, epigenetics is <laughs> well. No, I'll explain it in the context of the book because I, it's not a spoiler or anything, but it's it's hard to explain. This is actually a relatively new field, epigenetics. Um, and there was a laboratory that I worked in a couple of years ago that they were specializing in. And they were, it was like, this field's like 10 years old. And they were explaining it to me. And I was like, oh, shit, that would be amazing in Tokyo Ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh. and, and same thing with like the Malum and sort of um, some historical stuff there about anthropology and like ancient human development and stuff that I'm trying to make it connect in a way that makes, we call it shonen physics, mm. where it's like, it kind of makes sense, but it. You know, it's a gross exaggeration of yeah, scientific it's, principles. It's like, it makes enough sense. It's yeah. like the way in Rony Kenshin, which is a really old reference now, but there was a guy who breathed fire. And it wasn't just that he breathed fire from magic. They had like a chart about how he had like a barrel of oil and like flint and steel on his teeth. And it was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Only yeah. it absolutely doesn't make any goddamn sense. Yeah, like, like a bag it of oil bonkers. in his stomach. Yeah, stuff like that where it's like you can presumably explain it um and this has a lot more to do you know it's more of a genetics issue and less about drugs and more well basically genome if you have crazy bee genes where did those genes come from and when what happens if you're gonna pass those on yep that's an element and also the um the malum trait comes down and and psychics too that's a yeah. genetic but the malum and the psychics are genetics in different ways that the mm -hmm. psychic gene is an x-linked trait and you know all this uh, recessive excellent trait and stuff so they're punnet squares <laughs> yeah but, so so oh while while in God. tokyo demons i uh leanne was obsessing about about pharmacology yeah now she's obsessing about genetics yeah so i need so a little excited. longer <laughs> <laughs> but it'll all come down to like who is making out with who that's really what's important yep but, <laughs> but um so the, the pregnancy thing should be an issue in ghosts yes. uh because it's it's reproduction is a is a big important and again family right so it, it ties into everything that ghost is kind of about yeah it'll be and also everybody's really curious like what happens if isa gets pregnant can she get pregnant would the baby be bees what if she turned into bees <laughs> would a fetus fall on the ground like <laughs> <laughs> the important questions about tokyo <laughs> the important questions are if isa turns into bees while pregnant will a fetus just fall on the ground yeah that is actually pretty terrible. have fetus turned into bees <laughs> yeah is it is it a bee fetus it's just, just one it's giant like bee. larva it's like a bunch of larva yeah, in a little cares. clump so horrible oh. yeah that, that becomes like some kind of like guru horror story at that point like, yeah well there's there's definitely you know I mean, body Ugh. horror has been a part of this for a while now. I don't want to go quite too far. No, but we then don't also, go too like, far, but... who would get ISA pregnant and under what conditions? And, you know, like, uh, it's not. Yeah, okay, the question of who would get ISA pregnant is, like, <laughs> that's a big one. Yeah. And would it be in a tube or would it, like. <laughs> There's a lot of questions here. <laughs> Can she conceive normally? You know, like stuff like that. So, would you have get to skip labor by just turning into bees and then reforming elsewhere? Yeah, stuff that like actually that. would be like the really That'd positive part. Yeah. yeah. So, there are charts. I really hope. I, 
I really hope it's not Kado, because that would be one fucked up child. Like, that would be, <laughs> the kid would be so powerful, like, oh my god. Yeah. And terrifying. And also, I don't want to find out if Kado can absorb the bee thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, at this point, I don't think... He's still working stuff out. By the time Ghost rolls around, he'll understand his power a little better. Because that, that's the other point of Hikaru, is that he comes in in the same way that Daniel was sort of like, I am exposition about everything. Um, <laughs> Poor Bilal. Sorry. Yeah, the voice actor Bilal was like, what the hell line is this? Like, he really struggled with some of those incredibly long lines about, you know... Uh, he didn't do the enzyme substrate thing. That was uh, Nick had to do. Oh a, god, an enzyme it's like terrible Boston accent. You know, Receptor like. antagonist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to know that my master's degree in chemistry can go to some use. <laughs> I developed pitch in grad school. Yeah. I was doing it during. I was. I think I was developing one of the character sheets for. Oh, Prick! I think I was writing yeah. a Prick's character sheet in a break at during biochem class and my teacher was like are you working on homework i'm like absolutely not although i did have to do kind of a lot of equations <laughs> so anyway um should be fun uh do you have any questions concerns before we kind of wrap up uh, you guys I, I always appreciate your opinions because you're close to this but far enough away that you're yeah. a valuable insight you don't just talk about it all the goddamn time mm. like like some of us i disagree Okay, well, you don't talk yeah. about canon all the time, like some of us. No, I'm just now I'm just thinking about Jonah's horrible beard. <laughs> yeah, Joe gets okay, Joe's yeah, so, an idiot. Yes, Joe is the one who grows a terrible college beard. Yeah, that, that's not a spoiler. That's I know it'll be in the illustration. Yeah, it's in the illustration. Yeah, I've been thinking about that since he posted up that piece of the illustration on Twitter. Like that's just been in the back of my mind. Like. Every day at some point, my brain will just turn to that book to be like, Joe, Joe, stop it. Well, this way he won't look like, you know, we're, we're really afraid of Kato. So, oh, God, the hat. Okay. Stupid hat. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, explain Jesus stupid Christ, thing. the so fucking hat. In the Sorry. way that we explain that we needed to make the character designs very different, Kato, Kato starts smoking between demons and ghosts. He picks up smoking. Which means now he and Joe look exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, he basically, like, well, he's picking up one of Joe's, uh, you know. Yeah, so in the yeah. same, you know, eat your enemies. So he picks a little piece of Joe, and he absorbs it. And Joe's like, fucking creeps me out when you smoke my cigarettes. Like, get away from me, you weirdo. <laughs> also, Joe's trying to quit, and, like, Kato is smoking menthols around him. <laughs> he's like, you're killing me, Kato. <laughs> But Kato, actually, he smokes for kind of a different reason. It's, it's tied into his weird coping mechanisms. Anyway, uh, of course it is. It can't of be some simple answer. Um, so we were really afraid of, you know, Kyoshi's hair changes a lot. He's okay. We can separate him from Joe. Sachi's hair has always been different. He wears his glasses. And also, he gains a lot of weight between demons and ghosts. So he's, like, chubby in um, ghosts. And So he's even better to hug. Oh, yeah. He becomes, like, extra yes. cuddly. It's going to be great. Um, and then Toya... Who, again, who looked similar, we're talking short hair, his head is shaved because he's in prison. So the two people we were left with was like, how are we going to distinguish Joe and Kato? So Joe gets the horrible little facial hair, <laughs> and Kato is wearing this stupid hat that oh, Rebecca hates God, so much. God, I hate it so much. Well, it's, no, it's not even that I hate the hat, it's that you're having him literally dress like an old man. Like, he's dressed <laughs> like a grandpa. Yeah, that's kind of his way. <laughs> no. Oh, <laughs> he can't look I like a goddamn it. grandpa. 
Yeah, well, because the hat is old fat. Like he could wear a sweater or something if he must. But you, if you wear like an argyle sweater and a newsboy cap, you literally are dressing like a grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> well, Zoe was helping us with the fashion there because she was saying Kato mm-hmm. should go Modi style, which um, yeah, and that was acceptable. Do it. Let let her ex- explain <sighs> Modi style. This is Zoe's our fashionista. Oh, so it's like um, the basic concept is so Mori means forest. So you kind of are dressing like a friend of the forest is the general theme. <laughs> but it, it sort of works out to you dressing kind of like a fashionable version of your grandma. Like. <laughs> so lots of like um, jackets with like elbow patches and then like a scarf that's eating your entire actual face. See, Kata would be into that. Heavy sweaters, lots of layers. <laughs> Earth Again, Kata would be in, into that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, they'd be so cute. A lot of them do get, um, they get, I don't want to say makeovers, but like, you know, Mitsuko is an important part. You know, they, they all met Mitsuko in Demon. She's oh, yeah. very Mitsuko, much a character. Is, uh, so she, she uh, once they, they leave high school and fashion becomes more of an issue because you're not wearing a uniform every day. She's like, I'm not going to be... And this even happened at the end of Demons, where she's like, I'm going to put a hair thing in ISA's hair, and you have to leave it in there, like a hair clip. And ISA's like, I don't like my hair clip. She's like, shut up and wear a girl thing. Like, I'm tired of you just, like, like your hair looks like you chewed it off, you know, in, in, in the dark. <laughs> Maybe I did. Right. And then that last scene, you were talking about the last scene with Kato and ISA in the bedroom. It was really important that, like, Kato had showered, which is, like, something he doesn't do a lot. Like, or he'd bathed, oh you know, he was God. clean. <laughs> I mean... I got a part where he was really stinky because I'm like, this guy can't be this repulsive. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, originally there was a plot point where he was really smelling badly because he like really hated getting naked for, you know, bathing and stuff and, and they didn't have a lot of opportunities and I think Joe tried to hose him down and it turned like literally hose him down and it turned into a giant fight and it we cut it, but it would have been really hilarious. Um, he was like, I, I can't smell this guy anymore, like if I have to live with you. You need to shower. And Kato's like, I'm not going to the shower. And then, you know, anyway. I, I made her de-stink him. She's <laughs> de-stink. <laughs> but he's still gross, right? Like, she says he There's... looks like a homeless person. Yeah, like, no, he's just... he does. So... I mean, you, you can imply that he stinks. I just didn't want him to stink so bad that it was, like, a major <laughs> issue. No, and that's fair. So they've all had at least some point where Mitsuko's like, you can't dress like this. So none of them dress quite as terribly as they did in Demons. Um, but since Kato won't let go of this hat, which is now symbolic, oh yeah, um, it's super. Symbolic, she's like, all right, Mori kind of works with you, and you wear layers anyway. So let me buy you a couple jackets um, that you just—I don't care what you're wearing under—just like layer this on top, and you'll look fine, you know. Because you know, Kato has a job; like he's gonna like, look presentable. Because Kato is especially always dressed like he shopped at Goodwill, because he basically did. Um, so like, you know, holes in his jeans and stuff, and just ratty old coats and stuff and she's like nope i'm gonna buy you a nice coat and you're gonna wear it and sachi who was always a little bit vain um <laughs> he's like he's like do your do your best slash worst nami so or er, <laughs> nami <laughs> do your best slash worst meets go and he's so he's like super fashionable and especially since sachi is has a complex about being heavy like he was a, like a heavy kid He's only basically the only time in his life when he's skinny is during demons because he like had just shot up like a tree. He's like almost six feet tall, so his weight hadn't caught up to him yet. But he starts gaining weight, so by the time you know Ghost rolls around, he's like thirty or forty pounds heavier, and he's a little bit insecure about that. And Meets goes like, "I'm gonna make you so fucking hot!" Like, and he's like, "Great, that would be great. I would love to be hot." So he he like dresses really well, and 
you know, <laughs> Kyoshi has the one tie. Because Kyoshi works in blue. He's a blue-collar worker at that point. Like, mm. some of them go to college, some of them get jobs. Kyoshi does not Kyoshi go to college. Kyoshi does not go to college. Are we surprised? No. No. <clears throat> no. He actually no. works. Uh, he works on a construction site. <laughs> oh, my God. So his character designer is... It, his character design for Ghost is going to be him in the coverall. It's going to be great. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's my aesthetic. <laughs> that, that one's my aesthetic, so... I thought it's Tuganu no Chi. Yeah, yeah, the coveralls in Tuganu no Chi, basically like that. You wear these, like, one, this jumpsuit sort of thing. Um, but he goes and lifts cinder blocks for... And he's really happy, you know? Yeah. Um, and he works with some other character who will not be named at that... You know, a couple of them, they got each other jobs and... Yeah, a couple yeah. people do work in different places, because that's always what happens. You're like, oh, you I got a friend, there. you know? Yeah, basically, so... and uh, Yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> Like, they get to have jobs and go to college and do all that weird college AU stuff, except it's canon. Why not? <laughs> but anime has taught me that poor orphans live in their own unusually large for Tokyo apartments that they don't seem to have to pay for. Well, Are you telling me this is unrealistic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as is revealed in the story that comes out in the month that this comes out, um, Joe owns the house that they live in so he's their landlord oh my god <laughs> yeah that's that's his job he, he managed to it's complicated but he managed to get a house and so he's incredibly oh, lazy um oh, that he's god. like i'll just you guys owe me rent oh my god the weirdest <laughs> things like set you off especially zoe <laughs> Uh, well so also my mind immediately went to this bia manga that i made pachi read as well because <laughs> he runs a boarding house the main character um my darling kitten hair so it's mm, that's so a great I manga immediately connected this it's so good mm. so i just connected them immediately and was <laughs> that's so cute well, oh god it, please read it what happens if like I say you can't pay the rent. <laughs> Just kidding. No, Jesus. She turns into bees. You can't charge bees rent. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> she just goes and forms some kind of hive in a tree. It's fine. Bees yeah. Well, it's also a, a form of protection. They're, that's another reason why a lot of them live there. They're like, well, Joe's not going to kick us out on the street. <laughs> and he's like, I might and smoke six cigarettes. <laughs> Yeah, especially <laughs> since he's trying to quit. He's like, it's he's like, as long as I live with you assholes, I'm never gonna be able to quit. Especially kind of smoking around me, I can smell it. Particularly since like Joe smokes old lady cigarettes, um, and then Kato picks up. He doesn't smoke the exact same brand, but a similar brand. So they're both like smoking girl cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Joe is like you know has mommy issues, and yeah. Kato has just. Lots of issues. Well, he, yeah, he copied. He's yeah. basically copying Joe. And Joe's like, you were not allowed to smoke. Well, basically, Virginia Slims. I did this really long research to try and figure out what a middle-aged woman in Japan in the 90s would have been smoking. And the answer was, like, Virginia Slims, probably. Um, mm -hmm. Virginia Slims or Pianissimo Pesh. Yeah, Pianissimo Pesh. I'm not sure, like, how old they are. That would be, like, a modern cigarette. And... Yeah, I did a lot. So you know about Japanese cigarettes, too. I did a lot of research on this. So I was like, what would they... I was, yeah. I was curious also, and um, I, I like to look up the weirdest, dumbest shit 
like the weirdest details like I forget like at some point like early on in our friendship I think I was telling Pachi I was like wait what's the equivalent of Axe body spray and then I in Japan because it, is it Axe body spray what are the like, I want to yeah. we need to like, know that because Kyoshi would go through like a bottle a week yeah he was that's, yeah that's so, what I needed to know for that's what I was like wait what would it be though <laughs> yeah yeah, he wears all those weird bro marketed. Yeah, the things. things I mean, yeah. he's kind of a bro, but he doesn't. The thing is, he doesn't have the stomach to be a bro. He's like too much of a <laughs> sissy slash romantic. Oh God, yeah. Well, he's one of those guys who like he's like a total romantic at heart, but in like you know, he's really really terrible relationships. Oh God, yeah, there's shit that went down. More. Yeah, and all he wants is like a normal, lovely relationship, and he just can't get it. And there's no real reason except for uh, Leanne being the writer <laughs> <laughs> he could be happy but that would be easy yeah yeah can't have that That's well not how this <laughs> they all have I, I won't go into this podcast is getting along but they all have sort of their one question at the beginning of ghosts which it's like what is your goal here what is your problem how can i summarize in one sentence and kiyoshi's is not a spoiler because he says no matter what happened to me i'm gonna be normal again that's like his goal. He wants to be normal. He wants to have a normal life, normal job, normal, you know, girlfriend, wife, kids, pick white picket fence. He's like, I can do this. It doesn't matter what happened to me. Everything will be fine. So, of course, that's like his oh, big God. challenge, right? Like, that was his challenge in Demons, arguably, as well, that he's just like, I don't want anything. He wanted to just ask Mai to the dance. Yeah, you'd think that wouldn't, Aww. like, lead to, like, drug wars, but it did, so... Yeah. Good job, Kyoshi. Aww. It really wasn't Good your job. fault, but <laughs> yeah. Good job anyway. Uh. <laughs> He's in a better place than some of them, and then ghosts for sure when it starts. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, like, let's be fair. It's hard to be in a worse place than Porcato, like in general. Yeah, yeah. He's. Uh... I hope you guys like it. I'm actually really proud of the really crazy shit that Kato does. I think it will be entertaining. <laughs> I hope it will be satisfying. <laughs> I know I'm not going to get the spoiler because it's like one of the best plot points in the goddamn book. But there's yeah, there's some good. There's this plot incredible points. like series of scenes with Kato, and it's gonna be amazing. Yeah, it's gonna be. It, it passed Rebecca's. It's Kato gonna make meter, everybody so. like cry and scream and throw things a lot. Yeah, I think maybe. Hopefully. So. Yay. This is Yay. Yeah, we, Yay. we we did a poll. Um, another so we uh, we did a lot of stupid polls on Twitter. One of them was about the hat. Um, <laughs> we did do one about at the end of Tokyo Demons. What is it? Who do you think Kato wants? Does he want? Does he want to have sex with Sachi? Does he want to have sex with Aisei? Does he want to have sex with both? Does he want to have sex with neither? Like, what is his romance? And not necessarily like right away, because obviously he can't just jump into sex with anybody. But um, it was like, where do you think he's romantically headed? And the number one choice was. People think that he's in love with both of them. Which I think is a perfectly yeah, fair I interpretation. Is, is biased toward the OT3 fans on Twitter because they are loud and enthusiastic. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, there's certainly bias there. But, um, I mean, that was where, you know, I, I would say, like, if, if you're reading it critically, I think that's a very fair interpretation. Oh, yeah, yeah, make, no, so I, I, I agree. I'm I'm just, am, you know. I, I am pleased. I did that essay. Yeah, you <laughs> did essay. <laughs> I yeah. keep meaning to do another one just to like wrap up Tokyo Demons because I've been wanting to do one and now I'm like 
don't have time to do it and it's really annoying. I'm like, I just want to sit down and explain why I have such a fucking problem here. <laughs> just like put it in paragraph form with citations and then be done. Shit manifesto. <laughs> yes, honestly. <laughs> So, uh, you know, we, we, we said that we wanted to get on here and actually talk about Tokyo Demons with spoilers, but we ended up talking about ghosts kind of a lot, yeah. which is kind of, well, we can't spoil it, obviously. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else about demons that anyone wants to say? Like, uh, yeah, or something you didn't understand? or Yeah, because like Mi- Miki, I will, I will say that Miki and Toya both go to prison at the end of Demons. And Good. there's shit that goes on there, but they're both alive. They, you know, Toya survives his detox and he goes to prison, cause, um, and that's where... The, the prologue of ghosts is Toya in prison. So you'll you'll learn more immediately. Like mm. it's not like you have to wait to find out what happened. They're they're well, I mean you always do, but I think actually in the end of book three we're gonna put the prologue for ghosts as like a teaser. Mm. I want Mickey out of prison at some point. I'm just gonna put that out there because I enjoy him so much as a character. I don't wanna see him suffer this much. Yeah, uh stay tuned. That's that's an <laughs> issue. They they both have interesting like the, the the way that they both went to jail what they're in for how long their their sentences are is very complicated so um, yeah i mean i don't care about toya he can rot there for all i care whatever um <laughs> but like, i feel bad for mickey and like i feel like i should feel bad for like toya but like no Mickey just killed a guy yeah and like Toya was like, I'm going to ruin everything and murder a bunch of people and mm. also rape those like person that trusts me a lot. Mm. So like whatever Toya. I don't oh care yeah, Toya you. Toya deserves like so much prison. Like <laughs> yeah. nonstop prison. Endless. <laughs> yeah. I mean Miki I... was kind of arguably like not not so much self it wasn't self defense. I mean, you know, he he did sort of kill somebody in cold blood, but that guy also really deserved it. Toya, Toya was like going and killing poor Ochi, whose job was mostly just to die, you know. <laughs> and then and then cast down the hat. goddamn hat. <laughs> poor Ochi. Oh, Ochi. <laughs> People don't even uh, remember his name. No, like that he guy. was such a minor character. But like, I mean, his you entire know, plot point was that he was like kind of like suicidal <laughs> and depressed and like yeah. Well, yeah. there was one there was one reader who was really into Nakajima and Ochi as like a couple and was like really upset when Ochi died. And I was like, "Really?" Oh, no. <laughs> oh that's so cute though. <laughs> I can't ship with Nakajima with anybody cuz I'm just like she would just look at them and like they they couldn't have sex. She'd just be like, "No, I don't fucking have time for this. I have people to fuck up. Get it out of my face." Yeah, that's how I envision it. Woman's got needs, you know. She's or she's one of those people that's like, "You're going to go down on me," and that's the end of the conversation. And no, I'm not going to reciprocate. Yeah, she's kind of horrible. Wow, there's gonna be. I mean, she's not going anywhere. She's still there. She's still around. Damn it! And there was there was some stuff that happened at the in the epilogue that, you know, some people might be there. You know, Pachi gave me a very interesting interpretation of that epilogue. What was going on? What Kato was doing. <laughs> Did I say it? I mean, you can. Sure, it's your interpretation. Okay, okay. So, like, between the fact that, like, he has the fucking hat, um, and <laughs> that police pamphlet at the end, I feel like his career path is going to be, like, detective. Which I can see him doing, and also, like, I feel like he would be pretty good at it. Um, <laughs> not from a conviction standpoint, but from... <laughs> no, no, let me finish. Like, I have an explanation. 
Like, so, not from a point of view of him being really good at getting people convicted, because, like, he can know shit that people can't, but, like, you have to prove that this thing <laughs> happened, and, like, you can't be like, I heard it in his fucking head, I know it happened. But, like, when it comes to people that get falsely accused of things, like, he would be able to figure out very quickly that, no, this person actually didn't do it, we're wasting we need to go back to the drawing board. And, like, if he proves himself as being, like, good at that enough times, he will just trust his intuition without really questioning it. And I feel like he could actually get to, like, having people put away that are actually a fucking problem. Or at least not put people away for things they didn't actually do. But, yeah, I've, I've thought about that a lot. <laughs> oh. Certainly interesting. Yeah, that's quite an interesting yeah. theory. I would be sending you little, like, a bunch of grinning smiley faces right now, Faji, if I was uh, yeah. text. Yeah, you do Aww. that to me. Oh, it's yeah. Awful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time Faji comes up, like, like, has theories, I just send up, like, way too many obnoxious smiley faces to taunt her. Yeah, yeah. both of you do that. Like, oh, yeah. I send things, and then you guys just fuck with me, and I'm just like, damn it! And, yeah. But, like, I don't want to be spoiled, but I do. Yeah, but I'm not going to spoil you. I mean, I've, I've told you a couple little things, but I'm not going to give you any good well, spoilers. We have a little bit of a policy that when we, we were doing the audiobook, I wanted the everybody who was voicing each character to kind of understand what was going to happen, like the future of their character. So they would read the first... And this was like, you know, the beginning of book one. So they'd read the first couple chapters, and then I'd like sit down Dove. And I'm like, okay, this is what's going to happen to Sachi. And, I'd and like, his face would just get more and more horrified. And like, and then in Ghost, blah, blah, blah. He's like... What? And like, and then angels. He's like, just stop, just stop. I can't take. It. It's too much. So it, it's definitely like stuff that it's better in doses anyway. It's better not to be spoiled for sure. So um, yeah, no, I like it that way. Like, I love being surprised. Like when I I don't like not being surprised by Tokyo Demons in, anymore. I'm just like, no, I need to not know until it's like there, and then I can properly lose my fucking shit. Good. <laughs> I'm glad. Hopefully I, I hope. spawn a bunch more, like, weird fandom things where you end up drawing fan art of characters who may or may not exist. And just <laughs> oh, babies and stuff, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I love that, where the, the the fact that you guys came up with, like, a baby with a name. And, like, yeah, a that's wonderful. Plot point. <laughs> that was all Capo. That's like, amazing. she named the baby. And then I just started, like, writing another thing after she wrote her thing, and I was like, okay, okay. But, like, I can work my OT3 into this, <laughs> and I want to see Saji babysitting. So, yeah. like, th mm. that's how this is going to go. Please write the fanfic where Joe and Kyoshi are, are fucking while the OT3 is watching the baby, because that sounds amazing. <laughs> that's really great. You gotta, like, go back and forth, like, different scenes, yeah. Uh, just yeah, just go from, so like, bad. sex to, to fluff to sex to fluff. Yeah. Yeah, basically. This sounds like, amazing. Kisumi, like, I, I think would like Ayase a lot. Like, Ayase's all badass. And, like, <laughs> turns into fucking bees. And this little girl's like, oh my god, there's suddenly a bee, and I can pet it. <laughs> that doesn't sting me. Unless, like, uh, Isa's mad. <laughs> She's not gonna sting oh the god. baby. No, she would Isa sting wouldn't Joe sting first. a baby. Isa would sting Joe, but she wouldn't sting a yeah. baby. I don't, th you know, we have a chart about who has and hasn't been stung because it becomes a plot point later. So, mm. uh, Joe has not been stung. Yeah, I don't um, think yet. Joe has been stung. Yeah, there have been a couple people that were like, okay, once they've been stung, you have to, like, check mark it in the... <laughs> Again, like, <laughs> this book is like so left-brained it's like <laughs> so many spreadsheets and like research <laughs> probably unnecessary but you know i can't help it i'm a science nerd <laughs> anyway so oh she was so proud of herself when joe 
put uh, dumped the pitch in the in the sharps container. Yeah, I was really proud of that. It's like, how are we going to get rid of this pitch? I know. You can't put it down the sink. It'll you know it won't It'll necessarily like, be filtered out by the yeah, reservoir. Yeah, get in the water supply. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my awful. god! Well, it's stuff you learn. Like I, my specialty when I was a biochemist is lab safety. <laughs> was like, <laughs> I had a real passion for lab safety. So the stuff that's like a red flag, I was like, well, I can't just let them do that. That's bad lab safety. I mean, the fact that it's in the pipes <laughs> of the hospital doesn't necessarily mean a bad. Like he added that. That's not really necessarily a problem. It's more like, does it get filtered out of this water system once it goes to the reservoir? That's where they have things like, for example, hormones don't get filtered out of a lot of reservoirs. So. They wonder that are men getting a lot of estrogen in them through the water supply because women go on the pill and then they pee and all that estrogen, you know, because the pill is just estrogen. And then it goes in the reservoir and boys are getting a lot of estrogen in their water and stuff. So this was stuff that like came up when I was a student and I'm like, hmm, interesting, write this down. Like, I'm not going to use this for anything like productive <laughs> towards society. I'm just going to write a stupid book about <laughs> teenagers making out and punching each other. Yet there's this... <laughs> There'll be spreadsheets behind it. <laughs> anyway. You should compile all of that stuff at the end and just be like, so here's a PDF of all of the fucking things that went into this fucking book. Yeah, I mean, at some point I might, like, we have a lot of art that would make a good art book. Um, most of my notes are, like, too messy for anybody to follow. I know that, like, J.K. Rowling put up her notes at some point. Oh, really I saw that chart. Yeah, I, th I think people are kind of interested just to see that process, though. And I mean, you know, we have mm -hmm. notebooks because one of the one of the places that you, we would uh, plan things out is uh, Lynn and I have taken a lot of trips to and from Toronto just because we lived there for a while and our families are in Connecticut and we have a lot of friends in Toronto and it's, you know, it's like a nine hour car ride. So mm -hmm. to pass the time, we would plan out Tokyo Demons and, uh, you know, just, I would drive and she would sit there and write notes and we'd talk, hash things out and yell, yell a little bit and, you know, mm -hmm. and so we've got all these notebooks with like weird ass notes on them and just like, you know. Yeah. Or particularly like, I know, like, every writer's a little bit different, but I'll get particular lines in my head. Like, mm -hmm. a, a, a piece of dialogue, rather, that somebody will say that's really important. And about half the time I get to that point, I'm like, fuck that, that's a bad line. You know, but they, they were, um, there were a couple things that were really important. Like, the, that scene of I saying Kato in the bedroom at the end, where she's like, are you planning for the future? Like, 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 some of those things were really important. You know, from the beginning, it's like, this is what he, she or he has to say. This whole scene is built around that line. Mm -hmm. um, and that's very manga, actually. <laughs> it's like when somebody says something and then it's like a close-up of their eye and the, the, the pupil gets really small on the white of it. You know, it's like <gasps> they have like that, that moment. Or it's when it's like the, the two-thirds of a page yeah, shot exactly. where someone's hair is blowing in the wind. And yeah, yeah, it's like the reaction shot to something really surprising or important that happened. And I like having those. I mean, Tokyo Demons reads a lot like a manga, including... There's a lot of sound effects written Boom. in there. Boom! Yeah, like... All caps. Well, it was also... Bold. I was thinking about the audio version as well, but because manga is so based on sound effects, building the setting and stuff, so I put a lot of those in. And then, yeah, the way that they react. There's a lot of reaction shots. There's a lot of those, like, moments. She blinked. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> She's making fun of me for not being a good writer. Of, like, reusing the same lines. You're a lovely, wonderful writer, but sometimes when I get you're repetitive. rushed, you get repetitive, and I have to be like, you can't have ever, like... She, she froze. She froze. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Every good writer needs an editor. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, thank you, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're gonna stop talking now. Yeah, it's been like two hours. But so. thank you all for coming and listening and to our half. podcast. Jesus Christ. Yeah, two and a half <laughs> hours. Uh, hopefully, it will be cut down a little bit and not be two and a half <laughs> hours at the end. But you know, 
we've been talking for a long time. Anyway, thank you all for joining us, and we hope you listen to us next time. Bye. 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 Bye.